Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of February 2022, and I don't think we came up with a theme for this month, or at least a named theme for this month, but uh, for the moment, I think I'm going to refer to it as uh, Not Made in America Month. Yeah. <laughs> so Kyle uh, kind of introduced the theme to me uh, very unexpectedly at the conclusion of our last recording. So Kyle, uh, would you care to maybe give an explanation as to what we're going to be trying to explore this month? Yeah. So um, I got a new, I got my new Criterion for Christmas, and I uh, asked for Insomnia. I think is also from 1997, and I've noticed that uh, Funny Games from 1997 is on HBO Max right now. So I'm like, you know what? These are both movies that have have. Uh, uh, have been remade by uh, American filmmakers, so I'm like, I kind of want to go back and see the originals. Um, and there's also a couple of Japanese films that I, oh, at least one that I had in mind. And I'm like, yeah, since you know it's on HBO Max, that's convenient. I'm like, this seems like a good time to like check out some of these um, originals. Yeah, I, I was very intrigued by the concept um, because the, there are a great number of films from other parts of the world that do get remade uh, in America. Um, and vice versa. But um, I did think this would be a really interesting idea to explore, is uh, taking a look at the original, quote, foreign film uh, that would ultimately be remade uh, by an American studio at some point. So uh, as Kyle had mentioned um, just now, uh, our first film we'll be reviewing uh, for this month uh, is uh, Michael Haneke's uh, mm-hmm. Funny Games, or Funny Games from 1997. Uh, which is an Austrian film mm-hmm. uh, in the German language, as far as I understand. Um, and funny enough, uh, not the first Austrian movie we have reviewed on Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, not, a, not a country that, as far as I know, is, is known inter- like, like far and wide, at least among mainstream audiences, for their cinema. Um, however, not too long ago, I did a solo review of Blood Glacier. Oh, um, which, <laughs> which is a high art production, of course, definitely deserves a spot in the Criterion Collection. Um, but yeah, that film was also from Austria. So um, let it be known. I, I think I think one thing that's really cozy about a uh, Kyle and I our, our relationship when it comes to talking about films is that we're not intimidated by by foreign films mm-hmm. or I don't know challenging films. There's there's very few types of films that will will dis- be dismissive of. Uh, so I think it's I think it's a strength that we both share that like if we see uh, like quote foreign film advertised on the cover or something it's like oh well that's a selling point honestly so mm-hmm. if you look at our back catalog uh, you'll find that we do cover quite a few international releases um, so this just continues the trend I guess yeah Russia China Japan Germany Austria now yeah we've been all, Poland we've been all over the place. Yeah, we did an entire month dedicated to Ireland, in fact. Oh, yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> and Troy Duffy counts as a product of Ireland, correct? <laughs> I, I really want to dive into some South Pacific, like South Pacific Islander horror, because uh, they've got some crazy shit going on right now. Yeah, uh, actually, it's kind of interesting when you say South Pacific. I mean, that's a huge region, but mm-hmm. um, within the past decade or so, we have been seeing uh, like some Maori films uh, pop up, and and New Zealand has been putting out some some movies that have been very intriguing. Uh, some horror titles, uh, some like post apocalyptic type stuff. 
Um, so yeah, there's quite a bit out there. Like mm-hmm. the world's a big place, man. There's a lot of great films out there. You just have to hunt them down. But um, Kyle, uh, do you have any particular explanation as to why you you decide to to pick Funny Games as our first episode for this month, or was it just because you happened across it on HBO Max and was like, hey, sounds like the right time to watch a Criterion? No, so sometimes I'm in the mood for a good horror movie, and I'll go on to all the different websites like best 30 best horror movies from this time or best uh best uh horror slash thriller movies uh foreign and this was one that came up and this was one when i read the description like i just knew in my bones when i'm ready for it this is gonna this is gonna be a good time like this is gonna do something special um and then when i saw the uh the rolling sea the big criterion and janus films uh pop up i'm like oh man this is going to be fantastic. Like I, I knew from the beginning, I'm like, this is going to be an experience. And my God, did it deliver on my expectations. Um, I, I read the description and I saw the actor. Uh, like he's the, uh, I think it's the, the photo of him with the boy with the sleeping, with the, uh, the pillowcase on his head. I'm like, this is going to be, fr- this is going to be a frustrating film. Um, and <laughs> I have to be in the mood for it, but I do really like movies like this where it's just like, hold on. Because this is not gonna, this is not gonna be happy. Whatever happens. Yeah. So Kyle saw the the Janus films and the and the Criterion C logo spiral across the screen, and he just like settled into his ass groove and was mm-hmm. like, "It's Miller time. <laughs> Let's get cozy." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, that screen cap they used uh, on on HBO uh, as just the singular image to to present the film it's it's very striking and it does for some reason carry a lot of weight um the actor pictured there by the name by the way is uh arno frisch mm-hmm. um who is an austrian actor uh i don't recognize him from anything however in glancing at his filmography it does look like he's worked with this director before who is a critically acclaimed director michael haneke uh looks like he was in benny's video in 1992 so very early in both of their filmographies as far as i understand but um kyle i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna nudge you out of the way just for a second because i'm just gonna read uh the official plot description on the hbo max page because i think it's important for the people to hear it like verbatim from the website because this is this is part of the selling point of the movie if you're going into it totally blind yes i i do think that we should for for criterion films i think that we should read the criterion uh plot summary i think that that who's doing who's gonna do it better yeah, we we hold them to a different standard. Yes, See, this is this is cinema. This is this is not one of Trevor's direct-to-video Japanese films from the 1980s or some shit. This this, this is, is a, high art. Th- yeah, this, this is cinema. This. Uh, <laughs> uh, so funny games, 1997. An innocent family stumbles upon a holiday in hell. Wow, that's our first sentence. Anna, George, and their son arrive at their lovely lakeside home on vacation and meet a strange young man a guest of their neighbors who turns out to have rather violent tendencies. That's all you get. And that's mm-hmm. all you need. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could just have that one sentence stumbles into a holiday in hell. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I did want to say something about the director, uh, Michael Haneke, I believe this is what, that's what we're saying. Uh, he Either directed there. It's Haneke. Haneke. I'm not sure. Haneke. Haneke. Um, he directed the piano, which is, I think, I believe Holly Hunter got that's how she received her Oscar um, and I'm pretty sure the film won other awards uh, but uh, he directed um, a film starring an actress which I'm really really hoping to get a nice month on her it's uh, 
Cash, uh, by with uh, Juliette Binoche. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. She's an actress that I've wanted to get on here for a while, uh, and she's got. Well, you could pretty much just take her Criterion filmography, and we could probably just do that. But um, she has a select three or four films that I'd like to cover, just because I'd like to dive in deeper with her. But I just wanted to say that the director is, as you've said, well established. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, he most certainly is well known far and wide. Uh, he has multiple films in the Criterion collection, and uh, yeah, uh, Miss Binoche. Uh, mm. You, you've pointed her out before. I think, uh, funny enough, also a high art production uh, when we were talking about Godzilla 2014. Yeah. I, th- I think we, we both had a minute where we were like, I'd like to see more of this woman. Mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on why. But yeah, if you look at her filmography, it's like, there's a reason why. It's because she's quite talented. Very. Um, yeah. Yeah. She she elevated her like two minutes of screen time in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, I personally have never seen Uh, a film from this director however i will throw out there that a friend of the show and just i think of them as a friend uh, brad uh, from the cinema speak podcast i'm pretty sure i've heard him and his buddies uh talk about not just this film funny games as well as it's a remake um but this director as well uh so i I guess brad has some familiarity with them Uh, i personally do not and i i'd imagine that's the case with you too yeah um, I know of I know of the piano and I know of Cash, but um, I haven't seen it. I've seen pieces of the piano. I haven't watched it all the way through. It looked so fucking boring. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sure it's an excellent <laughs> film, but when I looked at it, I was like 14 or 15. I'm like, this looks awful. I do not want to watch this. <laughs> so I'm gonna go back and practice my guitar. Fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, no no personal familiarity with this director's work, but. Uh, I did know this film by reputation going in, although thankfully I didn't really know anything about its subject matter, uh, mm-hmm. which I think actually made it all the more striking when when I sat down to watch it. So I guess this is the part where we remind uh, listeners and potential new listeners that uh, we do full spoilers here on Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so being as this is a Criterion Collection film uh, and is quite good, I can, I, I can just say that right now, um, if you are interested uh, in checking this movie out, uh, maybe just pause the review yeah. and just go out and watch it. And then maybe come back. Uh, if you if you feel like it, if you want to be a buddy, <laughs> maybe come back and listen to the rest of us ch- chit-chatting about it. But um, yeah, uh, so we have Funny Games from 1997. And uh, I guess it's also worth pointing out being as uh, the theme for this month has to do with uh, originals um, and films that were remade in America. Mm-hmm. Um, this film did have an American remake that... Uh, came out in 2007, so 10 years after the fact. And uh, that film starred uh, Tim Roth and uh, Naomi Watts. Um, and it was also directed by the same fella. Uh, only difference was it took place, I think it takes place in America and it was shot in English. Uh, also, different crew. Uh, I think it was mostly an American crew. Definitely a different cinematographer. I wouldn't be surprised if a different editor. So. It's a very curious product. Um, neither Kyle nor I has seen it, um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, both of us had considered checking it out. However, um, if you do any amount of research about the remake, uh, apparently it's a shot-for-shot remake from the same director uh, with with different players and a different crew. So, I mean, there are going to be differences. It's impossible to make it exactly the same thing with all those different moving parts, but... Um, after having watched this film, it is it is an experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is it is a taxing film in, in more than one ways. But um, I just found myself 
questioning like do i really want to potentially harm the impact of the film i just watched by watching pretty much the same thing again um i i would be curious to see it just not back to back yeah Um, i i do research for this show i do i do pride myself on trying but um in this case i just i just couldn't justify it uh, to watch basically the same film back to back, but at maybe sometime down the line, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, this is going up into my top ten favorite opening sequences, uh, opening credit sequences for a film. Um, do you want to kick us off? Well, no. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you can't advertise that so, and not and not give us a breakdown, Kyle. Come something on, that we <laughs> something that you brought up that I do want to reiterate is that this is an innocent family, as it says, like this innocent family. At no point before these guys come into play does this family do anything bad they are cordial they are polite they are just pristine um and then everything that ensues i think because of because of how they're set up makes it just so much heavier because they didn't do anything to deserve what happens to them basically but yeah we get um we get a nice aerial shot and we get some uh, opera basically playing in a car or you can see there's like a boat there's a it's a, a nice station wagon uh, and they're carrying a boat, and we're on the highway, or maybe it's the Autobahn. I'm not really sure where we are at this point. The Autobahn. The Autobahn. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get uh, we we get them uh, listening to some opera. And how how did you like this uh, the CD? Oh, the CDs just brought me back. Like this is a this is a nice little '90s flick because we got the middle console, and she's got stacks of CDs in there, and they're gonna change it up with some more opera. Um, they're just kind of talking about who's this, who should we play next, and we get the brand new cd player in this thing which is oh great um and as we're just kind of driving along we get our family and um we we have this opera and then the title funny games pops up and then this just chaotic metalish noise comes in with screaming and indecipherable screaming and it's just like it just kind of lets you know like we're gonna turn we're gonna turn you on your head basically like so this is about to take the way this is shot and the things that are going to happen in this film are going to completely turn you on your head. And I'm like, this is brilliant. And I knew that I liked the opening sequence from there, but as the movie went on and finished, I'm like, that opening credit sequence was perfect. Yeah, it just it just slams down. Sector violence! Sector violence! Sector violence! But you can't understand. It's literally like like Mike it's Patton. It's primal screaming. Yeah. It's like experimental uh, Mike Patton stuff where it's just, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, Yeah, it's just cat noises and guttural screams, um, and it it drops like a punk rock hammer Mm -hmm. um, over over this pristine, serene image of a a beautiful family driving down the highway together uh, with their boat in tow. So by all rights, this seems to be, at least by outward appearances, a very happy family. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very cultured family at that, being as they're they're playing opera in the car, the kid has no objections to this. Um, and yeah, it's a very lovely portrait of, of a seemingly happy family in, the, mm-hmm. in this opening scene. Um, I couldn't help but get some flashbacks of the O.J. Simpson low-speed chase uh, from the cinematography oh, in the yeah. beginning. <laughs> I mean, I was alive for that. I got to see that on the news when I was a kid. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, uh, they're, they're doing a lovely thing that I'm sure you've done with, you know, with your partner or what have you. Like, uh, she, she's quizzing her husband on music, basically. She's changing up the CD, and he's not allowed to see what she's putting in, and he has to guess the aria. He has to guess what movement of what opera is being played at that moment. Um, 
and then yeah just like bam the the punk rock just drops and we just get in this like brutal like red font just mm. smashed on the screen funny games <laughs> funny ga- they're funny gaming <laughs> something like that <laughs> but yeah it, it's a wonderful opening it's very punk rock and the music persists over uh, we have front credits for this film mm-hmm. um and it, it's it's just entrancing because the cinematography and the texture of the imagery has not changed like we're still just like happily driving along in the car. Everybody has happy faces. They're looking out at the countryside and just yeah. while this like while the credits are playing. this vomit music's just happening in the background. I actually really I kind of miss these kind of opening sequences where we're getting part of the story uh, with the titles, and th- this is a good way to do it. Like you're yeah, we got the titles coming, but I don't like it where it's just like. The opening to Clerks, which is like, com- or maybe it was uh, Mall Rats, where it's just like punk rock music playing and you get the credits with just like pictures of comic books and stuff like that. That's that's like, okay, let's just get going. But I like I do like opening sequences like this. Oh, yeah. So, folks at home, if you didn't get the Sector Violence uh, reference, that's a reference to SLC Punk, mm-hmm. uh, which which was a previous pick of Kyle's uh, a long time ago on Catching Up on Cinema. Wonderful film that we both enjoyed talking about. Um, but yeah, uh, the the opening track that plays over the opening credits of that film is indeed Sex and Violence. Yes. So the family are headed to their lake house, and they have a big old big old piece of lake house on this beautiful lake like this is this is really nice but uh on their way they stop and they are talking to their neighbor who's a good 60 yards away on the other side of a fence and you can see the neighbors uh just kind of standing there with uh, a couple of people um one i could definitely pick out uh paul paul is definitely standing there uh he will be um coming into the movie a little bit later um but yeah, they're they're saying they're talking like, hey, we're gonna tee off tomorrow. Basically, they're setting up a golf date. Basically, and uh, they're having this interaction with the neighbor, and it seems a little off. And as they drive away, she's like, that just seemed a little strange, didn't it? And like, yeah, just kind of off. Um, and then they get to their uh, gated, uh, gated lake house just down the road a ways. Yeah, uh, it's it's a curious moment uh, when they're when they're encountering their neighbors at distance, as Kyle had said. Because it's it's chilling, but you, the viewer, are very uncertain as to why. Yeah. Um, and one thing that's interesting about this film is that it is, from from our perspective, a foreign film. Um, and there's potentially certain aspects of like um, etiquette and like social norms um, that come from German or Austrian culture that maybe you and I aren't privy to. Because uh, there's there's just certain aspects of the early interactions before like before things get hairy um that i was i was curious about because it's like I, I had mentioned to kyle before we started recording it's like you gotta be really fucking careful who you show this movie to uh, because there are a lot of people that will have really really heavy meaningful reactions to the content in this film um and maybe not healthy ones uh, because a lot of the stuff that happens in this film um i think it's very curious to note that apparently the intention uh, initially in 1997 was to shoot this film in america and it wouldn't be until 2007 when they remade it that they would actually accomplish that. I don't know if um, it was budget or uh, the content of the production itself that barred them from being able to shoot it in the States initially, Um, but I I do think that that is something that would dramatically change uh, some of the content of the story in, in setting it in America is... I, I don't think some of the interactions and the early goings in this film would 
make as much sense in an American setting, honestly. Well, I don't know they would be as cordial um, in general. Like, like I, in my mind, anyway, I, maybe that's a gross inaccuracy, but in my mind, I feel like the tension would escalate a lot faster in an American setting. Are you talking about the familiarity with the neighbors with each other and it's like... Uh... Like oh, well, you... even even the stuff with the eggs and stuff. Yeah, it's like I know what you it's mean. Like, it, like you, if you did that to my mom or my dad, like no man, <laughs> it's like 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 you would be forcibly removed from the premises, and that would be the end of the story. <laughs> uh, I do uh, like thinking back, like this interaction that they have with the neighbors. If they had just kept driving and went to their lake house and waited till later, they might have been okay because yeah. they actually yeah. introduced themselves by saying hello to the neighbors and it basically that's what basically triggers it because that's what triggers stuff later for other people yeah it's a it's almost like a vampire or something they have to be invited yeah in. yeah <laughs> or a virus it has to be passed from host to host um but yeah this, this interaction the way it's shot at distance and just uh it's interesting how uh how both of our our central characters by the way we should probably explain them maybe um so we have uh, Suzanne uh, Lothar and uh, Ulrich uh, Muhey or yep. Maihi. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce their names, but uh, they play our husband and our wife. And uh, very curiously, uh, apparently they were married in mm. 1997. Yep. Um, unfortunately, both of them have passed away. Uh, as far as I understand, uh, he uh, passed away and then she committed suicide uh, a few years after. Uh, apparently this was disclosed on the Criterion release of the film. But yes, these actors apparently did get married, uh, so they were an item in 1997. Um, but I think it's interesting that she, uh, she in particular, um, she occupies a very specific role uh, in this family unit. She's She is Mama Bear, uh, for sure. Um, and just from this seemingly, like, somewhat odd, but mostly innocuous uh, odd interaction at distance through this gate like she she reports to her family like in the car like what what is up like something is amiss like she just immediately recognizes like something is wrong um and what's that Kyle? uh real quick the the actor who plays peter tubby uh he's yeah. also he's also passed away he passed away in 2010 holy shit yeah uh Wow, that is unfortunate because these were all very talented people. Yeah, that, um, that's what I was saying. I'm like, how have I not seen at least Arno? I like, I, I had to have seen Arno in something else. It's like no, and he doesn't really have any other credits. But yeah, the guy who plays Peter, I'm like, he's also like, he didn't really do much. I'm like, well, because he passed away kind of young. Wow. Yeah, um, it is kind of surprising uh, that. I mean, I understand this is an Austrian production. Uh, we are Americans. Uh, this was 1997. Yeah. Not every, not every big name actor from overseas makes a splash in the states. Um, but I was very, I was impressed with everybody in this production to such a degree that I, I'm, I am kind of surprised that they never really jumped over here. Um, yeah, Arno Frisch in particular, just Oof. just the construction of his face and i don't i don't know like like if you look up a drawing of sociopath or psychopath in, in mm -hmm. a dictionary i wouldn't be surprised if you find someone who looks like him in there oh yeah he has he has he has the blackest eyes the <laughs> deadest yeah. eyes oh no he, he he's a he's a phrenology specimen they're gonna measure the size of his skull and like no 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 no, no. this guy's a psychopath absolutely uh yeah um, but one thing that is noted from this in initial interaction with the neighbors is that the kid is a, a Georg 
uh, as he pronounces it. His name's George. I'm calling yeah, George. Him George. George and George. <laughs> George and Georgie. Yeah, Georg. Uh, George. Uh, he points out that Sissy, uh, the neighbor's daughter, uh, was not present, um, and he's he's bummed out because he's a little kid and they're mm-hmm. hanging out at a lake house and he doesn't want to just be with his parents the whole time. Yeah. Um, he points out that it's weird that that Sissy wasn't there, and all of them have all these details that they note that it's like. Huh, it's really weird that the wife didn't say a damn thing, like, the whole time. It's also weird that they didn't even attempt to approach us. It's also kind of weird that there's two guys brandishing golf clubs that we don't recognize um, that seem to be, like, stalking around them, like, circling them the whole Mm -hmm. time. So all of them are taking note of all these details that um, this is maybe the point like this early on even where we had our, our funny games title with the punk rock music and whatnot. But we also have stuff like this that uh, start to introduce some like meta angles to the narrative here, uh, because all the things these characters are noticing are honestly things that like in a in a low grade slasher movie, mm-hmm. I don't imagine a lot of like aside from maybe your final girl, I don't imagine a lot of those characters would take note of those details that normally are reserved for the audience to keep to themselves. Where it's like you, we the audience key in on the oddities of what we're looking at. We we key in on the things that are potentially alarming, but usually in like a, again a low grade slasher movie, the characters are just like, they completely brush past her. They don't notice, and then it's up to that one final girl to be like, "Hey, wasn't it really weird that that guy was looking at us like that and had a fucking knife under his coat?" <laughs> it's yeah. like, "Shut up, Jenny. Nobody asked you." <laughs> Miller time. <laughs> he's selling. He's gonna sell us a bag of weed. We gotta have the weed to go to the Jack Johnson concert. No pancakes. Uh, cabin fever, folks. It's not that great, but you know it's fun for a watch. Uh, <laughs> but don't take it too seriously. But um, yeah, uh, we get a, a lovely sequence of our family uh, pulling up to their lake house, and I don't know what it is about this, but always it's always a cozy thing. It's not something I've done very often in my life, but arriving at the place you're going to be staying at for a few days or whatever always feels really good yeah like when you have to like haul your bags in and stuff and it's like a it's a vacant house and it's, it, it always there's an energy that comes with that arrival that's that's unique yeah it's because your vacation hasn't started yet but it's about to like it's it's about to happen it's i know exactly what you're talking about yeah and and transit like like logistics are always the headache uh, mm-hmm. that comes with doing pretty much anything yeah like, like so it, it's like your reward uh, for for driving down the the autobahn. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, we are introduced uh, to another element to the family, which is a uh, Rolfi, uh, their dog, their very large German Shepherd, uh, who kind of makes the initial entrance into the home and stalks through all of it. And this dog is enormous, um, and you know, in a, a traditional family setting, this would be a, what you would call a good guard dog, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, doesn't really manifest that way as the film goes along but were there any uh details that you you keyed in on here during this uh arrival sequence because it is lengthy by the way yeah it's lengthy um the detail that i noticed was uh rolfi and i'm like this dog is not going to make it to the credits um and honestly this dog barely makes the opening credits spoiler alert um yeah so that was the main thing i noticed was like that that was something the director was keying in on too like they're they're like, look at this dog. Look at this dog looking throughout all the house. This is probably going to be a good guard dog, and this is probably going to be the way you think the film is going to go. But, of course, as we've mentioned, it is not. 
Yeah, what what I noticed was, uh, like Kyle had said, the cinematography here during this initial arrival is shot from the eye level of the dog, which is a curious way of, of navigating the terrain. It's almost discombobulating uh, because these these types of shots, when we're showing off the, the house, um, they're very useful to a filmmaker for establishing geography and like the, the lay of the land, um, especially in, in a film like this that um, takes place largely in one location. It's things like this that are very useful to a filmmaker to, to explain to the audience what room connects to what room, like what options are available to our characters when the action intensifies. Um, but they kind of omit that for the most part by shooting it from the dog's eye level and keying in on all the things the dog is keying in on. Um, but <laughs> one thing that was driving me nuts here in this this early portion of the film, and I don't know if I don't know if this was even an element for you, Kyle, but. Um, the chit chat my god the the number of words utilized by by the mother in particular it's just like shut the fuck up. it's like just, just stop it it's like i like all the things you're telling me i am keenly aware of i have two bags in each hand like i can only do so much like like she's this is why i say she's like the mama bear of this family it's because she's directing traffic kind of like verbally like during this unpacking like she she's She's kind of like telling the husband what to do with the dog. She's telling people where to put what. She's talking about like where the food needs to go, what happened to the food. Apparently their cooler was on the fritz, so like the, the meat has thawed out, so it needs to be cooked immediately. She's very on top of it. Like she is, she is in control of the situation is what I'm getting at. Um, but there's just something about the number of words used to convey all this that was just like, grating on me <laughs> like i don't know if it was maybe maybe it's just like a style of communication that i'm not accustomed to um but it was just something that i keyed in on here i was just paying attention to the uh, golf clubs were the thing the thing that i keyed in on because the director holds on them for like four or five seconds just like look at these yeah. golf clubs uh this is gonna be very important golf clubs are gonna be very important to this film uh golf in general um but no i didn't really notice her talking as much i was paying attention visually to the film but yeah, uh, so yeah, we get our golf clubs, and then um, I think we get uh, the neighbor comes over with Paul. I think they call him Uncle Fred. Now, I don't know if this is actually a relative or if they just, in general, like just auntie, you just, Uncle Fred, like you just kind of call him that. Um, but he comes over with Paul, and the dog is barking his face off at, at Paul. He is not letting up. Um, and And it's never addressed in the film. Nobody ever brings it up, I don't think. Um, but Paul is wearing white gloves and he's also dressed like a tennis, like he's like a tennis asshole, like a rich tennis guy. Yeah, it is never addressed. Um, I, I don't, I don't remember if the gloves came up for any particular reason. I I do seem to remember them mentioning them, uh, towards the end of the film. Mm -hmm. And we do see that there is not, not distress involved in, in like potentially like getting the gloves dirty or anything, but there does seem to be an effort maintained to to keep them on at all times um but yes you're you are absolutely right he does look like a tennis asshole mm -hmm. um like emphasis on asshole like he does look like a douchebag um but yes we have this this curious introduction uh where their neighbor comes over and introduces paul to them and there's no signs of of distress there, there's some oddities in in like the rhythm of conversation here and also the dog is just barking its fucking head off when it sees this guy and uh it is mentioned that this is uncharacteristic of that dog's behavior 
warning signal there. Um, but what is curious about this interaction is that there's there's no signs of distress coming from the neighbor. Uh, it's just it just comes across as like this is my friend Paul. Uh, he's a weirdo that dresses like an asshole. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but but beyond that, it's it's mostly an in- innocuous exchange. Um, but in between all that, uh, they go out to launch the boat. Also, the the wife comes out to to visit as well. So everybody but the kid basically has met Paul. Um, and we see uh, father and son uh, rigging up the boat, like setting up setting up the sail and everything. Uh, I don't know if there's a plan to take it out just yet, but they're they're assembling the boat. Um, and then we have this long sequence uh, of mom in the kitchen. Uh, so father and son are out setting up the boat, and mom is in the kitchen doing what mom does best, and that is kind of like maintain the household like Mm -hmm. she is in charge a very like she is very much not necessarily in a position of power in this family but she she's the one that keeps this 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 ship running yeah yeah um and yeah we see her talking on the cell phone we she's she's preparing dinner uh as i had said the the cooler was on the fritz so she's like okay well we got to pivot away from that we got to improvise we got to cook this meat now because it's gonna go bad on us uh we're gonna try to invite some people over to help help us take care of it and stuff she's she's spinning all the plates man um and then her son comes in and uh he asked for a knife mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh he says we need something we need something sharp to cut with and she's like oh here reach into this drawer son and grab this knife uh dad needs it for the boat apparently um and in between all this though like you expect the kid to go out to the boat and then he comes right back still brandishing the knife by the way and he says there's a there's somebody at the door uh and kyle like this exchange was there's a lot of tension that comes from here and a lot of it comes from the same brand of tension that uh that that we got from that that exchange through the gate earlier mm-hmm. where it's it's there's just something off and it's so skillfully executed here on the part of the actors and the filmmaker yeah uh, be- because it's it's never explicitly threatening but there's just something weird that it's hard to put your finger on but it really keeps you engaged it it it's fascinating how it escalates and and there's one in particular moment where I'm like oh jeez that was that's so um, yes, yeah, so we're well off. Like, these families are well off. Like these are nice lake houses uh, in a re- on a really nice lake, and it's really big. Um, so yeah, so this this I call him Doey Trey Parker uh, comes yes, over. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he uh, he's com- he comes over and he's got on gloves as well, just like uh, Paul does. And he's like, hey, um, the lady over there, I'm a guest. Um, uh, she's making something and she needs eggs. And she's like, what is she making? And like, oh, I don't really know, but she just needs four eggs. And she's like, oh yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll give you the eggs. And he's like, thanks. Um, she also asked, how'd you get over here? The gate's closed. He's like, oh, I went I went around. She's like, but you're not wet. And he's like, oh no, no, there, there's like a hole through the fence that I just went through. And she's like, okay. Um, so she, she gives him the eggs and he just kind of puts them in his glove hands and he goes to leave and he just turns the corner and he's just like, he just drops them. She's like, oh, well, that sucks. He's like, not a big deal. But he doesn't even offer to help clean it up. He just sits there and watches her you know, clean up the eggs. And she takes care of it. And he's just like, hey, can I... I know I, I dropped the eggs, but can I Can I have four more? Like, she really needs them. And she's like, well, I, I'm going to have some guests tomorrow. And 
they might want eggs and I need four eggs. So I don't really want to give them to you. And this is the moment I was, I was saying where he's just like, well, I don't want to let her down and I, you don't want to be rude. So I really want the four eggs. And she's just like, okay. he's like, well, you can just go to the market on Monday and get more. And she's like, I guess I could. And he's just like, well, like he kind of just like points to the refrigerator, like get them basically. And I'm like, damn. Like, really taking advantage of her being polite. She's so polite throughout this whole exchange. Um, but yes, this was very uncomfortable. And this actor, he's very unsettling in this in this uh, scene. Because he's, like, kind of meek, but also aggressive. He plays it perfectly. Yeah, it, it's a it's a delicate balance that you need to strike in order to in order to get the most out of out of what's on the page for this scene but man they they both really nail it because she she maintains that that air of i i keep coming back to that term mama bear where it's mm-hmm. like there's there's an air of like cautiousness and guardedness that, that comes with her presentation here where it's like she doesn't know this guy i think it's very interesting that his his introduction comes through a screen door mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's this intimidating image that it he's a dopey looking guy but yeah. but this image of a person through a screen door that you he doesn't force his way in he just kind of like he finds a way to get in and she lets him in but there she can tell that there's an intentional distance between the two of them they really play with that with the cinematography here mm-hmm. where as kyle had said his his demeanor is generally fairly meek and he he does say like oh i'm very clumsy blah blah i'm sorry blah 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 but continually he's at great distance from her like he's on the other side of the kitchen but then every time he advances for some reason it puts you on your heels a little bit Mm -hmm. it's like there's just i don't i don't have a good idea of what this guy is about or what his intentions might be and our our feelings kind of match hers where it's like we're in the same space as her and it's very effective in the way it's conveyed on the screen he does make an advance like he it's not it, it it would be like something where it's like that shot when someone's looking in the mirror in the bathroom, they open it back up and then they shut it and then the per- like the things behind them kind of thing, you know, that cliche in horror movies. We do something kind of like that where she she kind of he kind of moves out of frame as she steps over and then he's a little bit closer and it's not like a jump scare kind of thing. It's just kind of uncomfortable because he's like really close for no reason. And that's when he knocks the cell phone over into the water with his elbow. Yeah, I'm really glad you pointed that out cuz it's almost like a I don't know. It, it's almost like a supernatural kind of thing where he he doesn't move unless you're unless you're looking away, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Uh, because yes, it, it isn't until she has her back to him that that he he makes it advance and whatnot. And yes, he does knock the cell phone, which is their only way of communicating with the outside world, uh, into the sink, which is filled with water. And it's here where we can we start to see her. Uh, her turn into kyle a little bit when when kyle's having a bad day (laughs) it's like there's there's a certain intensity that comes with this um but yeah uh, this is where she starts becoming less polite Mm -hmm. and uh, she starts to tease him a little bit in fact she's like like maybe maybe you should get out of here before you destroy the rest of my kitchen my very Mm -hmm. well-maintained kitchen um because he's you know with my dad we we have an expression that we've been using for for about a decade now that's you have five seconds to impress me <laughs> and what that means is is like you get like one fuck up 
if you fuck up twice, like in rapid succession, it's like, nah, you're out, bud. You're mm-hmm. done. <laughs> it's like, it's like you can fuck up once. That's fine. But like, but like, if if you have like multiple party fouls back to back to back or whatever, no, you're out. Get out. <laughs> it's yeah. like you're done. <laughs> it's like come talk to me tomorrow when I cool down. <laughs> um, so yeah, what this guy does here, like dropping eggs, knocking a cell phone into a pool of water, no. Get out of my house. Yeah. Like, I don't want to ever see you again. No, you're not getting extra eggs. You, you get right the fuck out. <laughs> and the cell phone's important because they don't have a landline. And I don't know if this was common for lake houses uh, just to not have a landline because you're not there the majority of the year, presumably. Uh, so, yeah, they've lost their only thing of their only uh, mode of communication. And she's expecting, like, like, she, like you mentioned she was on the phone with a friend. She's like, well, call me if you plan on coming out. So she does actually need to have the cell phone. Um, and now it's destroyed. Yeah, so she she had been talking to her friends on the phone prior to this fellow's arrival, prior to uh, Peter's arrival. Um, and yeah, that conversation required a follow-up in order to confirm that those people would be coming back. So we, the viewer, are keying in on these details and being like, oh, well, I think something's going to... I think something bad is going to happen to this family just based on the back of the box and, you know, the crazy fucking title sequence. Um, so we're starting to piece together like, oh, no, like this is this math is adding up to something really bad for these people. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, this fella, Peter, uh, he does get to walk out with four extra eggs. But then he fucks it up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so after he leaves and we think he's gone, thankfully. Like after after that, like five minutes of just uncomfortableness um, and frustration, um, Kyle had pointed out to me before we started recording um, our our gal. She has a moment here where she just like leans against the counter and she just has to like air out her hair because she's like this fucking guy. Like 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 yeah. this has been a day, and uh, she she uh, has pins in her hair that uh, Kyle had had been keen on pointing out, like. These these are props that we the viewer are keeping track of, like like where they're located and how they can be utilized. Because again, we've read the back of the box. We have a suspicion that something bad is going to happen, so we're thinking about like, hmm, what can our heroes make use of as things escalate? So Kyle had pointed out, it's like, well, she has those hairpins. Hairpins in movies a lot of times are utilized for a number of purposes. Oftentimes, picking locks or you know breaking confines or what have you. Do we ever revisit those, Kyle? <laughs> no, we don't. No, no. <laughs> it's 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 kind of an aggressive tease on mm-hmm. the on the part of the filmmaker. It's just like a, a little like a little bit of a fuck you uh, well, from, the, from the director. <laughs> yes, we also have the the knife that the the son has brought down to the boat, and yes. we do get a shot. It's a quick shot of the knife being knocked off of the deck and then going into like uh, the bottom of the boat. So we're like, oh, we got to put a pin in that. That's probably going to come up later. Oh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, the the knife. They they. There's a reason that shots in the film, and it's not a happy one. No. <laughs> um, but yeah. So we have. Uh, I think what happens next is Paul, Peter, and Paul come back uh, to the house, and I think the dog was kind of going nuts, and this is where Paul makes his entrance, and he's just like, I think he asked to use the golf club. He's like, uh, Oh, these are great golf clubs. I'd like to to give them a try, like if if you don't mind. And she's just like okay i guess he's like I'll, I'll i'll shoot it into lakes not a big deal and he kind of leaves the house and i think um peter asks for more eggs if i'm not mistaken yeah uh this is kind of where things start to escalate very rapidly mm-hmm. uh, so so paul happens by and now 
now we, we've escalated uh, in a very subtle manner, where before Peter had arrived and he meekly stood in front of the screen door um, and was uh, was requesting to come in. Um, it's it's very strange that he's at the screen door, being as he somehow knows a secret way to get around their gate, their gated home. Um, that's very sketchy. I, I would be alarmed by that, honestly. Yes. Um, but this time, uh, we don't show we don't show him or Peter being. We don't sh- see Peter and Paul being let in. They're just in. Mm-hmm. Like they've just helped themselves through the screen door at this point, point. Um, and they're both just standing in the doorway, and we see that there are no eggs in hand and it hasn't been enough time for him to have gone all the way back to the other house. So where are the eggs? Um, the way it's explained is uh, Rolfi, the dog uh, jumped up on him and, and spooked him and he dropped those eggs as well. Uh, so we're down eight eggs in total. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there are two strange men in the house and one of them just insists upon futzing with with the very fancy golf clubs that are posted up near the doorway um and this is where as i was saying like i I feel like the the texture of this film would be i think you'd have to change it if you're dealing with with an american family Mm -hmm. um in in like certain parts of of this country uh, because no man like you, you don't just do that like you don't just run in you don't just start touching things you, you, no like the most families i mean my i don't have a violent family but even my family is like no man we're polite but as soon as you start like putting hands on potentially valuable things without asking permission you you gotta go kid like mm-hmm. just get the fuck out <laughs> um but she, her reaction to this uh is not is still fairly cordial mm-hmm. like like she she doesn't resist very much and maybe it maybe it's because there's two two guys two strangers doing this and she's just trying to remain passive uh in the hopes that nothing nothing bad will come from this um but who who knows this is where i this is where i was curious about like maybe this is a custom uh in in germany or austria that it's like neighborly interactions there's an expectations that things will maintain a certain air of, of of cordialness i guess i think it's because she's friends with the neighbors and they probably have a great relationship like like she knows them well enough that she knows when they're being odd and these are presumably guests of her neighbors so i think she's adding on another layer of being cordial like these are their guests i don't know how they know them very well uh so i'm just going to be as polite as possible and i think that's kind of explaining why she's going above and beyond absent some kind of cultural thing that we're missing yeah it, it was very i mean this this movie is very intentionally frustrating in a lot of ways yeah so it may have nothing to do with that honestly I, it could just be the director kind of flipping you the bird all the way through the movie the the filmmaker is playing games with you the movie's called funny games the yes, prota- yeah. protagonists are playing games but the director is also playing games with you so i think that i think he's also just trying to frustrate you it, yeah but yeah yeah i'm trying to find the right time to explore that aspect of of the film because mm-hmm. that that is kind of the the key to what makes this thing work and what makes it fascinating um, I don't. I don't think I want to get into it just yet. I feel no. like we need to. There's more to have yeah. s- have some more beats like fall in place before we get to that. But but just remind yourself of that, dear listener. We we didn't miss yeah. what you saw. Like we we did actually pay attention. So yeah, there there is a lot of themes at work here that I, I'm excited to get into. But um, yeah, uh, they do get a hold of the golf club, and uh, he does request permission. Um, is this a Paul 
um, Arno Frisch's character. I, I get their names mixed up, yeah. especially because they also call each other Tom and Jerry. Well, uh, dip- yeah, I was going to say, because uh, Paul a few times refers to Peter as Tom and also uh, calls him Tom when she's talking to uh, Anna. So it, it's kind of interesting. They're they're messing with him. I'm like, oh, he's calling him different names because I'm like, I definitely wrote down Peter and he definitely called him Tom. So it was kind of interesting. Well, they also call each other Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Um, so they're just using like duo names peter and paul tom and jerry beavis and butthead you know whatever uh but laurel and hardy could have been anything honestly (laughs) yeah the the dog's barking his face off outside and the dad and the the boy are like hey be quiet like tell the dog to be quiet and they're just like what's going on up there and then the dog just kind of stops and they're like well let's let's go see what's going on up there um yes yeah so um this is a curious element, Kyle. It just occurred to me. So I think this is two Austrian films that we've reviewed or I've reviewed on Catching Up on Cinema, and both of them have dog warnings. Mm. Uh, so folks at home, if, if if dog stuff is not good for you, like if you can't stomach dog stuff, maybe don't watch funny games. Um, yeah. Same goes for Blood Glacier. <laughs> don't, if, if, dog, if dog stuff, dog trauma is a problem for you, uh, maybe, maybe don't check out these Austrian films. And... Yes, yeah, so this is where this is where it really amps up. Where basically, uh, Paul comes back in with his golf club, and he's uh, he's just like, "Are you going to give Peter the eggs?" He's asked for more eggs. You should give him the eggs. And she's just like, "No," and I want you guys to leave. And he's like, "Why? Why? Why should we leave? You're being really rude right now." So he's like turning it on her. And also, when somebody asks you to leave their home, you fucking leave their home. That's what you do immediately when you're asked to leave somebody's house. Um, and they're not doing it. So already we're, the tension is starting to amp up. And these guys are refusing. Um, and then George, the husband, comes back uh, with his son. And he's just like, what's going on here? And this was a very strange thing for him to do. Because she Anna starts saying, like, get them out of here. Like, make them leave. And he's just like, what, what's going on? And she's like... Just tell them to get them out of here. And he's just like, well, hang on a second. Let's just figure out what's going on here. What, what's the problem? I'm like, that is not how you react to that. When there's two guys in your house and your wife says, get them out of here, that's reaction. It doesn't matter. We're getting them out of here. That's Again, this is why I say certain parts of America, this yeah. movie would have very visceral potentially unhealthy reactions Mm -hmm. um because a scene like this again in a different cultural climate would not play out this way it it would be that it would just be my wife and i'm a wife guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) well these Um, these are presumably people that have never been confronted like this before like this is of course not of course not yeah, yeah they don't know how to handle a situation like this where these two guys who are not really intimidating at all like Paul is a, like, I guess he's a little lanky, like, he might be a little wiry, but he's just, like, this skinny dude, and then, I mean, Peter's pretty doughy, like, he looks, he looks pretty soft, like, if you punch him in the face, he might start crying kind of guy, um, <laughs> and they both have testicles, remember that, people, if you're ever in a situation, I know, there's I know. always, testicles are always on the table for, for I know, like, throughout this entire movie, this is, part of the genius of this movie is again maybe this comes from being an american and being exposed to too much violent cinema again one of the themes at work with this film and probably one of the reasons why this director wanted to make this an american film 
is its commentary on violence in media and uh, how it can be uh, weaponized as a form of entertainment, um, violence or action or what have you. Um, part of what makes this movie so fucking brilliant and, and frustrating is things like that, details like that, where it's like, come on, man, just like grab his nuts and twist. It's like, you don't have to be educated. You don't even have to have a violent streak, but you you know that that's gonna be an equalizer to some extent just just whatever it takes man there's no purse in this fight this is real life and these people are threatening you they are threatening and your wife does not want them in the house anymore if they don't want to leave you can make them leave so you pick up whatever you have around you i mean i'm joking but all this woman had to do is was just scream that's my purse i don't know you and (laughs) just give somebody a punt to the nuts (laughs) listeners listeners out there if you are married if you have a partner or spouse whatever it is you need a code word for if you are being held hostage by two people and you're in a position to aim for their balls you need a code word like crumble cake bam you both go for their nuts Kyle, do you have one? I'm just curious. Uh, Steph and I do not, but we've teased the idea of learning um, certain phrases in, like, uh, oh, Klingon or uh, something along those lines. Gotcha! Makta! Makta! Kapla! Because it's like, no matter what language you speak, that is pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much a, a very, very, very niche group of people unless you are being invaded by trekkies which i doubt or trekkers sorry i doubt that you are gonna have any issues communicating with klingon and them knowing what you're saying i mean they'd have to have like a five to one numbers advantage (laughs) to make that work if you were being held if you were being held hostage by dudes that understand klingon you're dead (laughs) they're gonna kill you you have no (laughs) shot (laughs) if they've got the drop on you you are done because they are yeah. going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's gotten that far, you are dead. <laughs> you are dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have one. Uh, my girlfriend and I, I, I would be partial to a... Have you ever seen the film Boys from Brazil? No, it's been on my list for a really long time. Uh, that's another one of those movies my dad had me watch real young. Oh. It is very good, but for a young kid, it's a little intense. Gotcha. And it's like, oh, Hitler. Oh, Nazis. Oh, dog attacks. Awesome. Um, there's a there's a bit towards the end of the movie that I think uh, the command issued to the dogs, the very large aggressive dogs is a cut. It's just like a it's like a palm slap and the word cut. It's like that's that's pretty handy. That 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 is not something you would hear every day. And uh my good buddy Orion, uh who has been on the show before, uh I think he reviewed Silent Hill with us. Mm-hmm. Um I guess he and his older brother had I am the bull. <laughs> and that's 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 when uh that's when hands had to be thrown. Was I am the bull. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My my partner and I haven't been in that kind of situation uh thankfully. Um but hopefully we would be able to get out of the situation without it coming to violence, but Of course, yeah. Um I'm going for nuts and throats, dude. Like, that's the first thing. Berserker, dude. Just go fucking nuts. Hard to hit a moving target, isn't it? Yeah. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and nobody wants to catch crazy either. No. So if you, like, if your behavior is wild and erratic, there is a chance that people just put their hands up and be like, I don't want, I don't want to catch that crazy. <laughs> I don't want to fuck with that. <laughs> I once read it takes less force to crush a trachea than it is to crush a can, a soda can. 
So remember that, folks, if you need, need to use that. <laughs> Just remember, nuts I don't know. are always on the table. Nuts are always on the table. It's always an option. Oh, yeah, and I would be partial to the George Costanza tippy-toe. Tippy-toe! <laughs> <laughs> oh, as far as, I think that would be useful. <laughs> as far as crushing trick is, I have no idea if that's true. It might be true. I have no clue. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I've never been I'm, not in a, position I'm not a doctor. Um, yeah so the the scene kind of escalates a little bit and the the husband is just like not sticking up for his wife in the situation but also understand these are two also grown men in his house as much as you and i are watching this and saying these guys aren't that scary these guys are the same size like same height as him and he's not a particularly uh big dude um but he's just like uh anna leaves the room and he's just like what's the problem he's like i think you guys should go like, you, you guys should probably just take off. Um, and then, I don't know what happens, but uh, uh, George ends up slapping Paul, basically. Yeah, uh, so Paul and Peter. Um, this is this is very intentional on their part. This is this is some uh, toxic masculinity slash bullying tactics stuff that, that folks at home, as much as y'all would maybe like, like to think that this stuff doesn't actually work, does, mm-hmm. like... There's certain there's certain chemical reactions that happen in your brain. I can only speak from the male perspective, but there's certain chemical reactions that happen when certain aspects of your ego or your masculinity are challenged in very specific ways that do trigger visceral re- visceral reactions, regardless of how how together you think of yourself. Like I I think of myself as a pretty composed individual, but you know we all have our limits um so they both break his like they both penetrate his personal bubble they're both in his face um and paul in in that airy tone that like false falsely polite tone that he he uses throughout this entire film like he tries to talk to everybody like he's their buddy Mm -hmm. um this is the tone of a sociopath who's manipulating the room essentially Mm -hmm. um he gets up in his face and he so he ex- he just explains to George what happened, and part of George, part of the reason George is so passive here is that his rationale is that I can't, I can't strongly interfere or interject into a situation that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So in his mind, he needs to un- he has to have a lay of the land before he can take any drastic action. So he's like, my wife is really upset with you guys. I have no idea why, but I'm trying to back her up. But I don't really know why I'm doing this. So I- I'm not in it a hundred percent but paul lays it out to him that it's like oh yeah I, she gave him the eggs uh, he dropped them you know like she she said she'd give him the eggs so i don't see why like even though those eggs were destroyed or whatever it's like you know but she did agree to give them to him like i don't see i don't see why we can't just continue the exchange why you can't give him four more eggs after he destroyed eight eggs previously it's like it only makes sense right and a lot of this has to do with the tone like a lot of this has to do with his tone of voice. It sounds like it makes sense, but when you really think about it, all it would take <laughs> is an American good old boy to walk in the room and say, "No, that's fucking bullshit. Get out of my house." Yeah. <laughs> and then kick him in the nuts. But but no, George is he's using his he's using his frontal lobe. He's not accessing his reptilian brain here. Um and eventually uh George gets to a point where he's like, "Get out of my house." And Paul gets in his face. He's like, "Oh, that's not fair, man! Like, like you better be careful about that. Otherwise, I'll break the rest of those eggs." And then George tells him, "Like, watch your tone of voice, because I guess this is him recognizing that. Oh shit, this guy is a stranger in my home, and oh, he does appear to be a lot younger than me. That that doesn't make sense." 
And yeah, he does raise a hand to Paul. He gives him a slap on the cheek. And Paul just barely reacts to this. He's just like, well, okay. Like, I was expecting a little more than that. But, I mean, I had it coming. But I guess that's all he's got. So, um, George, like, not very wisely, turns his back to the pair. um, And Peter pulls out uh, one of his own golf clubs and strikes him in the knee with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one curious element about a lot of the violence in this film is that uh, quite a bit of it happens off screen. Yes. Uh, um, but the sound mm-hmm. um, of of the screaming and the sounds of the violence are super amped up. Like, it's super intense. Um, so the noise that George makes when, when he collapses on the ground is just like, oh, wow, that is a howl. And I think that's a really effective tool that the director uses in this movie is... Uh, it's not show don't tell, but it's just like leave it up to the imagination. Like this is what's happening off screen. And at one point, I'm really glad that he did this. Uh, where at one point Anna has to to undress herself, and he does not show it. And I'm like, that was I thought of it. I'm like, that was a really classy move because there's no need for that in this film. Like we we get the gist. We don't need to see that to understand its impact. Yeah, I I had the same reaction actually. I was like, not not everybody would have taken that approach, but um, I I was very pleased with the cinematography and the editing of that sequence mm-hmm. uh, because, like Kyle had said, this is somebody understanding, like sticking to their principles and and maintaining their integrity uh, in a place where they easily could have gone a more uh, exploitative route mm-hmm. just like like shown everything in explicit detail but um i'll i'll we'll touch on that when we get to it yeah. but um yeah it's curious actually the the balance that they strike between what details they show and what details they don't um because there there's like in particular one moment of oh, explicit Jesus. violence in this film that's absolutely incredible um but it occupies a very specific place um in the presentation of the film where it's like this is the filmmaker letting you know this moment is in this film because of you people out there who needed this moment. Mm-hmm. It's it's there for no other reason than catharsis on the part of the people who expected it. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it occupies it 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 occupies no other space in the narrative other than that momentary release. Um, it's a very fascinating moment that we we will get into. But um, George is handicapped for the remainder of the film. Yeah. Uh, his knee is just blasted. It, it is shattered. Um, and the interaction here is is truly bizarre uh, because he's on the ground and his son runs over to him to try to help him. And uh, again, the, the choice of what details to show and what to not show are uh, very, very skillful here because we get to see Paul manhandle the kid and slap him yeah. <laughs> like pretty aggressively and like put a finger in his face and let him know, like, I'm going to fuck you up. If you, like, if you don't settle down, I'm going to break your fucking face, basically. <laughs> And again, in in a different film, probably an American film, I don't know that they would have shown this part. They would have shown the kneecap getting broken, but I don't know that they would have shown the kid get handled this way. Well, um, and and this continues throughout the rest of the film too. Like this kid gets roughed up. I think it's at no point are these two guys on screen where your blood is not boiling the entire yeah. time. It's it, yeah. it's impossible at any point to not want to just fucking choke these dudes because they are infuriating they are brilliant in this movie i mean bravo bravo bravo. (laughs) Uh, um yeah i'm so glad you used that word though brilliant 
because there's a there's a chapter of this film that I, I I hate I hate that we have to talk about this movie in this way because I'm like filing all these thoughts away in boxes as we're going because there's all these things I want to get to right fucking now now is not the time um, but when Kyle says these guys are brilliant I want you the listener to put a pin in that um, because there's a very specific chapter of this movie that I I want to say um, the brilliance of these characters uh, is is on full display in the form of their absence. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that when we get to yeah. it. But um, the, uh, the exchange here is truly bizarre because the kid's been slapped around. George's leg is just a mess. Um, and immediately the two fellas are like telling him like, why'd you do that, man? Why'd you make me do that, man? And like, P- Peter's been to med school. He can take care of your knee. Just let him look at it. Take your pants off. Take your pants off, man. That's a great idea. You should definitely take your pants off. And there's no verbal objections on the part of this family. Everybody's just silent because they're just like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like Kyle had said, these characters could not possibly have any conception of, of what to expect from this particular situation. But they're offering to help him. Like, like the, they allow the family to prop him up in a chair and they're offering to examine his knee and probably put a splint on it for him after having just done that to him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly bizarre and all the more unsettling because of it. Um, but Kyle, is this the point where uh, Paul starts to introduce some of the ideas of, of the games? Like, cause I know he pulls out the, the golf ball as a prop at one point during yeah. this exchange here. Um, um, I think uh, I think George asks him, "What kind of game are you playing?" Like you guys are playing funny yeah. games, and he's like, "Games? What, what are you talking about? Games?" Um, we do get a good line here. Um, why are you doing this? And one of them responds, "Why not?" I I thought that that was brilliant. Uh, <laughs> just a simple, but yeah. So um, I'm not sure what happens before we start looking for Rolfi. Uh, I don't think a whole lot important happens during this dialogue exchange other than ratcheting up the, the intensity of, of their relations to one another. Where it's just like we the, we the audience and these characters are just like, I don't know why this is happening or what the intention behind it might be. Like, like are these people like out to harm us? Or are they just wanting to hang out at our house? Um, I don't really know. But yeah, where we go from here is... Uh, husband and and uh, son are just hanging out in the front room and uh we we start a game of hot and cold which i remember playing in my my youth uh, yeah. for birthdays and whatnot um but we're playing a game of hot and cold because everybody's caught wind of the fact that uh rolfie's not around uh, he was barking his head off earlier and he's been silent for several minutes of the film at this point and the golf ball prop came out of uh paul's pocket uh because he was teasing the husband saying like what's this i got in my hand and he's like oh it's a golf ball and he's like why do i have a golf ball and the reason for that is like well i tested out your golf club but i didn't test it on a ball because mm-hmm. i still have that obviously and we the viewer are just like ah shit I yeah know what that we means. know what's happening yeah yeah we already know what happened and this is past tense because it was minutes ago but i don't want to um, i don't want to talk about this scene basically hot or colder she finds the dead dog okay move on I don't want to yeah, talk about uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like Kyle, Kyle is a dog person. He, yeah. he loves his dogs. Um, this is why I say, this is why I said a while ago, if, if you're not down for dog trauma on film, maybe skip this one. 
Uh, same goes for Blood Glacier, also an Austrian <laughs> film. Um, but uh, I will say this is the first instance of, uh, and maybe the most famous instance of a fourth wall break in this film. Oh, I love it. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. yeah uh, so during the, the search for Rolfi, during this game of hot and cold, uh, Paul just kind of steps into the center of the frame and just turns his head and gives a wink directly into the camera um, as he's instructing uh, the woman, uh, Anna, is that her name? Yeah, Anna. Uh, um, as he's as he's directing her via the hot and cold. I'm not crazy about fourth wall breaks. Generally, uh, in movies, it just it doesn't do anything for me. It's usually like a parody movie or something like that. But it really it's really fascinating in a film like this where you would never like this kind of film, like you would never expect this to happen where the character is deliberately looking at the camera. I'm like, Oh, okay. It just adds another interesting layer to it. It, it happens multiple times in the film. Yeah. And I, I want to say it's a big part of why this is in the criterion collection. It elevates the material considerably. It does uh, because, because it takes it from just being a home invasion thriller to a commentary on home invasion thrillers yeah. um, and films uh, of this of this caliber of tension and tone. Um, but the next sequence was maybe the most infuriating of the entire film. And I think that was deliberate. Yes, I agree. And it was deliberate. Yes. Uh, uh, Kyle, do you want to you want to get into it? Yeah, I, I love this scene, especially uh, when you uh, set it next to juxtapose it with the final scene of the film. Um, so. They're, for some reason, they're outside, and uh, Anna hears somebody call... You're talking about friends on the boat, right? Yep. Okay. So Anna hears somebody calling to, to her, and she starts speaking back to the person. There's clearly somebody down by the, the dock area. Uh, and she and uh, she and uh, Paul are standing outside looking at him, and he's like, well, I think you and I are thinking the same thing. Let's go talk to them, basically. So they go down, and she's talking to her friend who has, I believe, her husband and then her sister or whoever is on the boat. And they're just kind of chatting. And during this whole time, you you know as the viewer that she can say, this guy's holding us hostage, and there's a guy inside the house. There are three people here. I mean, you can overpower these guys. You, you have the tools now. It can be done. All he has is a golf club inside. You might get some broken teeth, maybe a concussion in the process. That's going to keep you alive. And at no point when she's talking to this person does she even kind of hint that something is wrong. Uh, and you as the viewer are like, there's got to be something. She two times kisses her on both cheeks where you could easily say something, help, easily. Um, and I think she introduces Paul. Or no, Paul, I think, kind of interjects himself into the conversation. And she's like, what? Huh? Who are you? Oh, hi, by the way. Yes, this was infuriating. Uh, and this was deliberate, I do believe. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, yeah. Every, this movie is very meticulously yes. put together. Um, this was very deliberate on the part of the filmmaker. But, yeah, this is maybe far and away the most frustrating sequence in the entire thing. And, and again, I don't know. Maybe my perspective is skewed. But I feel like this would not fly in America. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, honestly, anywhere. I feel like this scene is constructed in such a way where it's like regardless of like how attached to or detached to like detached from reality that is uh it might be its placement in the film is very deliberate in in the form of the reactions it's trying to trigger um because we're we're just watching it we're just like just fucking do something like like make an attempt jesus lady come on Uh, but no she doesn't do anything and 
it actually reminds me i could be misremembering but uh, there's a really awesome movie that my brother matt um he uh he suggested uh we review uh, for catching up on cinema a while ago called the square mm. uh that has a sequence where a uh a crowd of like aristocrats like high society types um turn in like very suddenly turn into a mob and attack a man who's behaving like an ape it's a form of performance theater but he takes it too far um and eventually all these people wearing tuxedos and nightgowns and whatnot end up jumping him because he he takes it too far and all of a sudden this this group of people who you'd never in a million years expect to turn violent or savage uh all it takes is one guy to throw the first punch and then everybody's in on it. Um, and it feels justified by that group because, because of everything that preceded it. Um, I can't help but think of that because in my mind, I'm just like thinking, just, just kick him in the nuts and, and then work out the details. Mm -hmm. Just, just kick him in the nuts and, and, and maybe start howling and screaming and bank on your friends backing you up. Mm -hmm. like like i mean that that's the perspective of somebody who's not in the situation so i mean maybe i don't know i've never been there but as a viewer this is what's going through your mind the whole time and this is how you can tell the the material is powerful and engaging is that you have these visceral reactions watching all of all of these missteps on the on on the part of the players but you as the viewer are helpless because i think the casting not only because of their uh how well they play the characters, but their stature is so effective because these are guys, when you look at them on the screen, like I could take these guys out easily. Like I could, I, I might struggle a little bit, but I can put up a good fight against these guys, even like, any size person. Cause these guys aren't super big. And I think that casting was also deliberate to just get under your skin further. Like just an extra layer of why aren't you doing something? Cause that's not diamond Dallas page holding them hostage. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's not these aren't big guys, and I say they're probably not in very good shape. The skinnier one, Paul, might be. I mean, he might have some good cardiovascular, but like he's he weighs like maybe a hundred and thirty pounds. Like he's not a big dude. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the the appearance of the characters, their their stature, does intensify the viewer's relationship to to the proceedings. Uh, because it it does give you that sense where it's like oh, I could take him like Easily. maybe maybe not in a stand up like fight but like if I caught crazy. him off guard maybe maybe if yeah crazy counts for a lot I can switch <laughs> I can switch on the crazy dude yeah <laughs> um, but yeah I think you're absolutely right I think that was very deliberate uh, in terms of the casting choice it's like I don't want beefy home invader types like wearing leather jackets and ski caps it's like no I just want two <laughs> normal looking dudes. And what's really fascinating is uh, the timing of this release. Is that in 1997, I don't think we were inundated with 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 this style of of like action concept or, or like or thriller concept of film. Like I think uh, late 90s in my mind is like high concept like big big gasoline explosion thrillers like like we we had like lots of blockbusters like speed and mm -hmm. twister and well, independence day and stuff like that not but the remake came out in 2007 and if memory serves i think taken came out in 2008 mm. and in my mind like this movie is like a direct like objection 
or, or just like contradiction to to that 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 a subgenre I like to call dad action movies, mm-hmm. where it's just like middle aged dudes humbling young people. <laughs> well, there was a there was a template, and Scream came out in 1996. Um, yeah. So th- there was a template that directors had picked up on, and I'm sure many directors see in film school like this is how you set up a horror film, and this is how you have a happy ending, and this is how you make that movie. And I think that this was a similar, uh, the similar reaction that Scream, this is what the director was kind of trying to accomplish uh, as far as like how Scream was made. It's like meta commentary, like we're going to talk about these things, but we're still going to kind of do that movie. We're still going to make that horror movie, but we're going to talk about this is how it's done. Or like just do it like on the nose. This, on the other hand, is like, we're going to kind of do that, but we're going to talk directly to you. And then we're going to do the exact opposite of that, but make you think that we're going to actually have a normal film. Yeah, Scream is a is a commentary on the genre itself. This movie is a commentary on the people who enjoy that genre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Thanks for pointing that out. Because the timing of that is probably, I would, I would imagine, has to do with the, the timing of the release of this film. Because Scream was a mega hit mm-hmm. internationally. And apparently continues to be because uh, that last one came out pretty recently. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> I don't know man. if it was good. <laughs> uh, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast thought it was all right. Uh, the latest one, that is. Um, but that means in, gen- that, in general, that, I like Scream. That might. I mean, if he says it's all right, that means it's watchable. So there you go. Yeah, that's more than you can say about some yeah. some horror movies. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that exchange at the boat is just just distilled frustration <laughs> um but we uh we head into the evening um here uh, so the the action of the film moves into like the living space of the house of the lake house and uh george is placed on the couch and uh anna uh helps is having to like carry him on her shoulders mm-hmm. like very literally um multiple times throughout the film but here she has to carry him onto the couch and whatnot and uh there is a shocking escalation of uh, violence that occurs here, um, and it comes from a seemingly innocuous gesture on the part of Anna, where uh, our two villains uh, quote uh, they uh, they they have this concept that they throw out there multiple times at this chapter of the film about familiarity. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, they're they're like polite guests in their own minds. I guess is how they think of themselves. Um, so there was a there was a bit when uh, Peter was asking for eggs um, initially, where he he kept flubbing his words and he was referring to the neighbor as Fred, but then he'd shake his head and be like, oh, I mean, uh, Mister Berlinger. Um, so I'm guessing they had a similar progression with the neighbors, but maybe they didn't get as far or something, mm. where they 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 didn't get past that that concept of familiarity like they didn't get on a first name basis with those people that they were holding hostage um but uh here uh anna is like giving george some pills or something for his pain um and she just kind of like casually pushes peter aside to get to her husband who's in pain on the couch and then paul just like lays into her and throws her onto like punches her, her onto the couch. Oh, he gives her a yeah. Kano like a Kano kick, but he like slugs Ooh. her. Yeah, and, he, and it like she's been really like um, really with it this whole time, and this is kind of her breaking point a little bit, where it's just like this is real and this is getting worse, and she kind of it's it's like a 
pain, but also like just the emotional toil that this is taking now on her. Um, this scene, I wanted to get your take on because I found this scene int- uh, really fascinating. Um, I don't know if we've asked what time it is yet. I think that comes a little bit later, but we're kind of to the point now in, in a story like this where it's like, why are you doing this? What is to be gained from this? And the character, uh, Peter kind of addresses it. He's just like, he gives several different, um, reasons why. And I was curious. So one of the things is like, um, I'm not the one doing this. Tom or Peter is the one that's doing this because his parents got a divorce. Um, and he's upset about that. Um, because he ba- he's banged his mom and he's like breaking it. It looks like he's breaking him down. He's like, actually, I'm I'm uh, I'm just lying. Uh, we actually just rob rich people for drugs. That's just kind of what we do. But he he gives all these explanations as to why they're doing it, but none of them are believable, basically. Well, maybe it's time to get into it. Uh, <laughs> so, so I I want to say that this this sequence is um, indicative of the expectations of the audience mm-hmm. so this is paul diddling your asshole <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and feeding you narratives and lines of dialogue that we the viewer of films of this subject matter need in order for for it to be a satisfying story uh, these these are explanations that none of as kyle said none of them are believable we do see peter has visceral reactions to some of it but there's so many lies sprinkled in between all of it that's like the details are unknown to us and they never will be known Mm -hmm. um but remember this is this is film it's a it's generally a narrative medium when in you know in mainstream presentations and whatnot and this film does have a narrative it does have characters as a story um but this is the movie and the character, and by extension the character, uh, kind of flipping you the bird and letting you know, I know you're asking these questions. I know you need answers to these questions in order for this all to add up to a cohesive, satisfying whole. Like, in order for this meal to be complete, you need some meat. But I'm not going to give you the meat. Mm-mm. I'm going to tease you with it. I'm going to dangle it in front of your face. Um, and you're not going to get it. As much as you're hungry for it, we're not going to give it to you. Um, so this is... A very fascinating scene and how it plays out mm. and it's it's a uh, i, I want to say like heath ledger's joker almost has a riff on it there where it's just like the the explanation of how he got his scars where it's just yeah. like yeah in in that film it's used there's a different utility for that like that that's a demonstration of character uh for for the joker mm-hmm. here this is this is just this is just a big fuck you to the audience yeah but a but a a shocking and effective one where it's very much a commentary on the type of mindset a person that would enjoy this type of film would have coming into it. Um, but is this where we uh, we start talking about time and, and games and whatnot? Um, I just wanted to mention real quick before we get into the time, like what this must have been like to see this film in the theater in 1997. It must have been, this is one of those, like, I wish that I could have, I wish that I could have experienced it when it came out at that time. Because we didn't have anything like this, except for, like, Scream, but we didn't have anything close to it at the time. Like, Scream was kind of meta, but it wasn't quite the same. Like, this was probably very, very unique. Like, nothing like this had been done up to this point. Oh, yeah. No, I I would have been very curious to see this movie without without the aid of 
of the internet and its reputation uh, behind it. Like just going into this totally blind and walking out of the theater and just being like, I, I don't really know what to make of that. Like that was frustrating. Like, did I enjoy it? Kyle, did I enjoy that? I feel like this was a mainstream film that was just like, oh, films aren't necessarily meant to be enjoyed. They're meant to be experienced. And this is one of those films. Yeah, uh, Kyle had been saying that before we started recording. It's like, that's that's how you have to sum up a viewing of funny games. You have experienced funny games. <laughs> You've experienced it. Um. But yeah, uh, we introduce uh, kind of a ticking clock element, which I, th- I think it's kind of brilliant on the part of the film. They even follow through on that end of the like <sighs> unwillingness to satisfy the audience. Mm-hmm. Because we have this ticking clock that seems like it's going to be important. No, not really. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I was very satisfied because this is the kind of movie endings that I enjoy. I was thoroughly satisfied with the ending of this film. Okay. Well, uh, that's important for any of our listeners to know. Kyle is a big fan of a certain type of ending. Yes. Uh, to, if Basically, if you're going to start a story a certain way, Kyle's a big fan if you follow through on that. Give like, me it. If, you, if you're going to set that kind of tone, you better stick to your guns because mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to be disappointing so in that way i guess the film maybe failed a little bit because it made kyle very happy (laughs) at the time at the time it accomplished what it meant to do which was to frustrate you and you weren't supposed to like this kind of ending but then there's that there's a weird niche there's a there's a weird group of us that very much like it when movies end like this but yeah um yes but now we get the uh the concept of time and uh he asks uh uh i get their names mixed up now paul asks peter what time it is and he's like oh it's about eight o'clock and he's like how much he's like let's make a bet let's make a bet that you three will be dead by 9 a.m tomorrow and you are gonna bet that you won't be and she's like i'm not gonna take the bet and he's like well you got to take the bet like it's the bet so you're he basically is like thrusting it on them like i bet you that you will die by 9 a.m tomorrow yeah yeah so now we have a ticking clock where it's like uh will our heroes make it to 9 a.m alive or dead um but at one point, uh, Anna a- attempts to leave the room. Uh, there is some talk of fetching food. This is a mm-hmm. uh, this is a repeating element of of the narrative where uh, Peter continually asks for food. Uh, he did that earlier in the film as well. When uh, when we were looking for Rolfi, uh, he was just kind of standing in the doorway asking the kid to fetch him some food, and over and over again he keeps uh, f- having the family fetch him goodies and whatnot. Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe this is a meta commentary on, on the part of the audience eating popcorn. <laughs> um, in, in, like, enjoying a meal with their, their ultra-violence. <laughs> um, thank God um, there's no in-out, in-out in this movie. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that maybe would have been pushing it. Yeah. And actually, that that's maybe a strength on the part of the filmmakers. Like, knowing knowing like that you're pushing certain buttons that you have to be very careful about pushing and knowing which ones to just like forego entirely otherwise you'll just break the thing entirely it's a very delicate balance you need to strike in order to make this frustrating yet satisfying in some capacity um but yeah anna is on her way out of the room i think to fetch some some food for peter and uh the kid george george jr uh he attempts to get up to come with her and this is something he does repeatedly every time she leaves the room or attempts to take action 
he he tries to follow suit and uh peter is very keen on keeping them separated Mm -hmm. this happens multiple times in the film he's very keen in particular on keeping the kids separate from the mother um which uh, on the part of like when it comes to audience participation i could see that being an intentional trigger point for a lot of people very much Uh, seeing seeing a child in distress is something that much like seeing a dog uh, in distress uh, is very triggering uh, especially when the parents are in the room for it but um this is where we get the uh the undressing sequence that uh, kyle had mentioned earlier um and this is also where we see um as i just mentioned um a show of restraint um and care- careful coordination on the part of the director uh, so basically uh, we're threatening to harm people in the room in particular the kid mm-hmm. uh, because we're uh, as paul phrases it we're going to i think it's a kitten in a bag yeah he uh, he takes a pillowcase off of the like a throw pillow and puts it over his head we also get a fourth wall break here i don't recall what it was but it's definitely before the pillowcase um he looks at the camera oh is it we haven't even gotten to the final act maybe i don't know it's it's a very specific one but i can't remember what the fourth wall break is here but he definitely does but yeah he puts the pillowcase on the kid's head so that the kid can't see his mother undress Yes, uh, he does that. And also, uh, Paul has a fourth wall break here. But um, in addition to that, George, I I want to say this is a the most subtle instance of it. Because every time Paul breaks the fourth wall, uh, the the film is expecting you to see it and to notice it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very intentional. It's very explicit. Um, but I detected something here with the cinematography that, like, I thought was really powerful. Um, it could – I could be wrong – um, but what I noticed here was, um, so George Jr. is being restrained. He has the pillowcase on his head, and Paul is continually tugging on it. And the the scream this kid makes is horrible. Uh, it, it the, yeah. the the decibel levels on it are awful. Like it hurts your ears to hear it, um, and it's it's a horrible sound. But um, what I noticed here was is Paul is threatening George Sr. and saying, "I at like." Tell your wife to undress in front of us. The kid's eyes are covered by the pillowcase. He can't see this, so it's all is good, right? Um, and he's telling it. He's telling him to tell his wife to undress, and he's demanding that he do it in a very specific manner. Like he needs her. He needs him to call her sweetheart. On top of that, um, but the the shot reverse shot of this exchange between these two men is that Paul looking directly past the camera, and when we look at George, though my eyes interpreted it as him looking directly into the lens mm-hmm. and him begging like him saying please as in me as in this character is breaking the fourth wall and asking you the audience to not allow this to happen <laughs> <laughs> that's how i interpret it anyway um but yeah he he begs and uh, unfortunately he 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 acquiesces eventually. So there's a funny, I couldn't not think of this. There's a really funny bit in Malcolm in the middle when the oldest brother who's been off at military school is like visiting and he's trying to get something out of somebody and he uses Dewey, the youngest child. Like he's going to use him to like drum up some like heart, some heartstrings points. So he's making Dewey cry in order to get this person to react so how he makes Dewey cry is he has his hand behind his back like he's comforting him, but what he's doing is he's pulling up his shoulder blade behind his back and making him cry. So during this scene when he's like, he's basically like shaking the kid and I'm not sure what he's doing, but I had it like, do you think he's pulling on his shoulder blade? Because that would probably be really painful. 
<laughs> no, that show was pretty good. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I think in my own mind, I underrated it. Like maybe it just came out at the wrong time or something. But most of, most of my concrete memories of it was a fantastic show. show. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. I enjoyed that show. Jane Jane Kaczmarek is wonderful. Oh, that that whole family <laughs> unit were fantastic. No, it, I might actually go back and rewatch it. Uh, yeah, that that uh, I. I didn't see as much of it, but I want to say Grounded for Life was a fun one. It too. was very much, yeah. Those were that yeah. that was the dub, that was the double header. You got both both of those, yeah. That was good Fox. That's good Fox programming, dude. <laughs> Back when Fox was H was Fox was the HBO of regular television. Like they were they were knocking it out of the park. Yeah, they they were kind of pushing some of those boundaries on network television mm-hmm. um, but yeah that was good watching good watching but um as we said here um george eventually crumbles and he does he does what they ask him to mm-hmm. he asks his wife to undress in front of them and uh what kyle had been alluding to earlier the the cinematography uh in this moment the the way we construct the scene is a uh, anna it does indeed undress entirely except for a necklace i think but the shot is just her head. Um, it's it's entirely just the frame is just her head and her emotional reaction to what's happening. We see her playing out the pantomime of undressing, but the frame never dips mm-hmm. below her, her collarbone. Um, and the reason why we're both praising this is that what's more important, seeing Anna's naked body or seeing her reaction to displaying her naked body? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that is conveyed through her face and her incredible acting here because she just looks like a a wreck yeah um and and the editing here is there's a very steady hand operating the console here because we're not we're not cutting away from a lot here it it we're just kind of locked in in this frame uh with with her her horrible visage just like center frame uh, it's very powerful yeah it's it's humiliating whether you show her naked or not, and I don't yeah. think I don't think that you need to show her naked to convey that. Um, but yeah, so we have a little bit of a scuffle here. I think she gets uh, maybe an undergarment back on, um, but there's a scuffle. And well, it, it's because uh, the kid uh, pisses his pants, ah. and uh, Peter is instructed to take him to a different room to get cleaned up. And uh, as he's heading to the doorway, the mom starts throwing hands, or at least tries to. And uh, the kid manages to slip away during mm-hmm. the violence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he gets out of the house. Uh, he ends up... So, it was strange. I thought they were upstairs this whole time when we were in this room. But he was actually downstairs. So, I'm like, why would he go back downstairs and go back upstairs? And then it dawned on me, like, oh, they're downstairs. So, he runs up, up upstairs because uh, I think the front door is locked. And he... Uh, ends up climbing out of a window, which I think this kid actually did. Uh, it, it looks like he's actually climbing out this window and down the down the uh, shutters or whatever. Yeah, I I made a mental note to myself. I was like, damn, this kid got stunt credit, right? Because <laughs> not only did he get roughed up multiple times in the film, he actually climbed out a second story window and had to do that himself. Yeah, who wants to see a big ass stunt? Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so. He he gets out of the house and he uh, manages to get over. He manages to get over to the neighbors. He ends up walking through the water uh, around the fence. Basically, it's the only way to get around the property that he was aware of because he wasn't a part of that interaction uh, between um, uh, Peter and Anna at the beginning. 
Um, but we get the eggs again. I don't. I have an egg drop down on my notepad, but I don't remember why the eggs come back into play. Um, Peter has a lot of seemingly innocuous dialogue with uh, with the family. Um, it's curious because I actually am not in a position to comment on this in, in terms of like if it has d- deeper meaning or anything. But as Kyle said, like his his demeanor is oftentimes very meek and passive, even though he's the guy who broke George's leg. Um, but he, we as we're cutting back and forth between George Jr. Uh, fleeing the house and trying to get to the neighbor's house and whatnot, uh, we're cutting back and forth between that and the parents in the living room with just Peter because Paul left to go search for him. Uh, go ahead, Kyle. One thing I think it's important that we've kind of glossed over is that uh, Paul is kind of verbally abusive to Peter. He keeps calling him Tubby. Absolutely. He keeps calling him yeah, Tubby. Yeah. And like we said, like Paul is is very much like he's got rich asshole just written all over him. Uh, he just he seems entitled. He's uh, unaffected by anything. He just he's just really he's a sociopath he's just just straight across not that rich people are sociopaths but i'm just like he he's unaffected (laughs) as far as this character goes um but peter is really meek and dumpy looking and he just looks and i mean he is doughy like he that's the best way to describe him is just kind of doughy and he seemed he actually says to him a few times like stop calling me tubby like stop calling me fat and it seems like he's kind of like like kind of like eeyore like he's kind of breaking him down a little bit so i think during this scene what i took from it was this was her like trying to do what sometimes happens in movies and i'm thinking like ransom where they're able to get through to one of the bad guys like to try to like use them to get out of the situation which is what this scene i think was supposed to be yeah i i think you're onto something there um because if you've seen enough of these movies there is again usually an expectation that somebody like us the viewer and the character's uh, that are in the predicament will get wise to some form of weakness uh, on on the part of their captors or whatever and exploit that or something. Um, like Kyle said in Ransom, usually you find like a weak link or something, or, or in the case of that film, somebody who maybe is less comfortable with the idea of what yeah. they're doing than the others. Panic um, Room as another one. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a trope. Yeah. It's a thing that yeah, happens. It does happen. There's a certain expectation if you're into this particular genre of film that maybe there's a weak weak uh, a weak point yeah yeah it, it's the kind of thing that when it if and when it comes up you aren't surprised nor nor are you like scoffing at it it's just like oh that's just a that's just one of the trappings of that genre but uh it does not come into play um we don't really know the extent of their relationship we do see them have some like genuinely friendly interactions in like the final moments of the film um so we don't know if like peter is under paula's thumb or something but mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the things he tells them, it's just, like, all these, like, just inane what's-its, just, like, stuff, like, just mouth noises. Like, he's he's moving furniture around, and he's telling them, like, he's on the verge of, like, heading into law school, and he's like, oh, yeah, but I got to do, like, military service before that. And they're like, who the fuck could care, mm-hmm. Tubby? Yeah. <laughs> like, but, but um, yeah, he, he has this moment um, with, with the, the family where he's just saying, like, uh, you you need to understand from my perspective like like i had to play i had to play out that pantomime of dropping the eggs and like like humiliating myself in front of you 
like and all of this happened just just because of these eggs it's like you you forced all of this to happen Mm -hmm. like like you you very nice people who were kind enough to give me eggs i asked for you're the ones who are responsible for everything that's happening here it's it's a truly bizarre interaction but um at one point he gets up to leave the room and uh of course our two heroes spring into action because he left the room not only that he left the room without his golf club um so we have a a badly injured husband and a a a wife that's very recently after that last outburst paul uh, tied her up with tape Mm -hmm. around the ankles and the wrists uh so george tries to free her and again just just the biggest fucking tease to the audience um they get several seconds to try to free her from her bindings and it doesn't happen it's it's agony and it's agony (laughs) when you get to game of thrones the we do a little something different in that show where it's this instance where we're constantly just edging towards we're going to get a break in the case we're going to get a break in the case and it never happens game of thrones what it does is it gives you the break and then takes it away from you and it's pretty incredible and it's what made that show so awesome uh, spoiler alert, but that's what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So I love it, and it no like we should know as the viewer that this is not going to end well, and this is going to keep happening. But you still you can't not because your brain is trained to expect these breaks at some point. You still like hope that it's going to happen, um, and I I just I love it. I love it. <laughs> it was just fantastic. This is this is, may as well be called edging the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? seriously. <laughs> um, in in particular, there was a bit here where I was I actually I talked to the movie, Kyle. I don't do this all the time. That's how you can tell I was very engaged with the mm. material. I talked to the movie. I was that guy in the theater. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 don't <laughs> get, the, yeah. get the fucking door. <laughs> um, there's a close up uh, of Peter uh, bent over because he dropped some more eggs. By the way. Um, and he's trying to clean it up, uh, much like Anna had done earlier. And uh, she, there's a close-up of their two heads uh, in the frame. So Peter just kind of absentmindedly just trying to clean up the mess and not listening to her, and her just sobbing and just like she got the, she got mucus coming out of her fucking face, like all of all of her orifices, mm-hmm. and she's saying like, please just leave. You haven't done. You're you're very young. You haven't. Your life hasn't amounted to much yet. Nothing actually horrible has happened here yet. You can just leave. We can pretend that George broke his leg working on the boat. Everybody can go on their merry way and nothing bad can come of it. Um, And Peter's just very dismissive of her and says, like, you don't understand. This is very humiliating for me, too. (laughs) And and I don't understand that. But apparently that's his perspective on the matter. But what, what caused me to talk to the camera here, what caused me to talk to the movie was... I was like, just headbutt him. Knee. Just break it. Just break his nose. Knee just, to just, the face. Anything. Anything. Like I know you don't have access to your limbs, but if you headbutt him, maybe your husband can crawl over. You can use your dead weight on top of him. Mm-hmm. Just anything. Knee. Like, at this point, yeah. you're tired. Just, get, just break his fucking nose. <laughs> yeah. If you if you need to know how to how to headbutt somebody, watch the movie Father's Day with Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. There's a tutorial on how to break how to uh, headbutt somebody. You know, I was on a I was at folks at home, don't judge. I was on an airplane recently. <laughs> <Ooh. Ooh. laughs> Spooky. Um, I was on an airplane recently. 
and I was entranced by somebody watching that movie. Oh, on a really? Of, I've never seen it, but I was just like, I really want to see that. That's like, a, I think so that that's. I a, was seeing Billy Crystal yeah. and Robin Williams like at a dance club and stuff, and I was like, I need to see this movie. <laughs> that's like an art film. It's just like it's a, a movie about you watching somebody watch a movie on a plane. It's just like, what is going through this person's head that this would be the time or place to watch this film? I that it happens every time I travel. Like I always find something interesting to just latch onto. And that was it. That was it for that trip. Was like I need to know why this person decided oh. to watch of all the hundreds of movies available to them on that flight alone. Because I know that came from the flight network. Mm-hmm. Why that one? I why that why that one? I actually was just on a plane yesterday and I saw one this is one of the cutest one of the cutest babies i've ever seen just this little little, little baby and she's uh she would i'm like sit next to a baby um i don't complain about kids being fussy on a plane that's fine it happens it's supposed to happen they're fucking they're infants it happens yeah. but this baby was so good during the whole flight but at one point she did start crying out of nowhere and the dad took her up and he went back to like the emergency area like the there was like a big space in the plane kind of where the restroom was and he's just kind of holding her and he's back there for a while and i thought maybe he was waiting to get into the restroom um so i was kind of waiting but then i saw the light go green and he was still sitting back there and i'm like oh he just must be back there holding this baby so as i'm walking back there i'm like were you i give it like a point to the door I'm like were you waiting he's like no and as i'm walking to the door he like taps a guy on the shoulder and he's like hey is she sleeping because her head's on his shoulder and he couldn't see her and he's like yeah he's like okay so he was asking a stranger to make sure his baby was asleep before he went back to his uh, before he went back to his chair, which I thought was really funny. That's cute, right? <laughs> Aw, baby on a plane. Oh, she was so oh. cute. Yeah, it was it was yeah. nice. Real real quick though, I will point out also good uh, headbutt tutorial film Ninja Scroll. Mm. Uh, the finale of Ninja Scroll uh, involves wearing a metal headband. Um, but, but yes, that, that is how one performs a headbutt. (laughs) 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 Um, anyway, uh, she does not headbutt Peter and we're, we're cutting back and forth, as I said, between little George, uh, kind of doing what you would expect in like a slasher movie or something, running away from Paul. Um, and he does, he like wades through the water, much like how I guess, uh, he uses that same passageway that Peter used to get to their house, so he uses that to get out of their house because he can't climb over the fence because he's a fucking loser. Um, I was lo- <laughs> like, I was, I was hating watching this kid try to hop that fence. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> like, I didn't think he was going to make it, but yeah, he does actually make it through. Um, I love this sequence too. This is great. Um, I, this this whole sequence in the neighbor's house. We get no idea of what the layout of this house is. So as Georgie kind of runs through, he's kind of like outside of a window, but it's actually kind of a door, like uh, French doors where just the two doors open. Uh, He notices that his shoes were wet, so he's left a trail, like left his tracks into the house. So he's just like, he thinks quickly, he's like, I have to get my wet clothes off, otherwise I'm going to keep tracking. And I'm like, this is brilliant. Like you take it off and now he can't find you again and you keep going. But Georgie goes back into the house like this. I'm like, okay, that's actually a good idea. Have him think you ran through the house, then back out, and then try to like double back and like just try to get away a different way. Um, but that's not how it plays out. Yeah, by all rights, he does most most of the right things, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, unfortunately, he's a small child, and uh, 
Paul, as unmenacing as he appears, uh, is an adult. Uh, <laughs> and basically, uh, during during this, uh, it's not even a chase. It's more like hide-and-seek, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, Georgie discovers uh, Sissy's dead body. So the mystery of why the daughter wasn't with their neighbors earlier is is explained now. Oh, she was dead. Yeah. Um, and she was in the upstairs restroom. We don't see the full extent of the carnage, but we just see some like colored socks on a pair of legs and a lot of blood on the floor. Um, and Georgie finds a uh, a shotgun, a double barreled mm-hmm. shotgun, on the floor, and uh, he grabs it and he attempts to hide initially, but it doesn't work out. And uh, he's drawn out into the light and just like into an open hallway where Paul he's confronted by Paul, and Paul is just completely unthreatened by the sight of a child brandishing a double-barreled shotgun and he actually teaches him how to how to fire it he's like you gotta cock it first um it's a very cocky move on the part of any villain mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a simon gruber move and die hard with a vengeance yeah. <laughs> you gotta cock it safety's on <laughs> i always think of him um, eating that that hard-boiled egg during that scene oh, oh. yeah yeah that yeah that's an ugly image so dry yeah <laughs> a german man with his with his uh was it like sky powder blue like sleeveless shirt yeah <laughs> eating a hard foil uh a german uh, by way of scotland uh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's doing some of that acting shit you know? <laughs> jeremy irons he's a very good actor <laughs> uh, so it's kind of jarring it's like alan rickman doing his american accent in die hard uh it's just like uh I, it's good but it's still not gone like his his accent's still not gone it, it, it's remarkable to me how good of an actor Alan Rickman was. And I know that was like one of his very first, if not his very first film acting roles. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, man. Like, are you utterly incapable of flattening it out? <laughs> like, yeah. like, come on. Like, I, I, maybe that was the intention. Is that like, it, this is such a bad American accent that's like, Oh come on! Yeah, <laughs> but, but but yeah, his his Bill Clay voice is Clay. utterly unconvincing. Bill Clay, Bill Clay, <laughs> Bill Clay, Bill Clay. Um, yeah, I forgot that uh, that Paul turns on the crazy music that that came on during the uh, Funny Games uh, title yes. card. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, he shows Georgie how to do it, and then he's like, "Go ahead," and he's like walking closer to Georgie, and then it he pulls the trigger, and it just nothing was in the chamber, and he just goes poof. Which it's like fuck, they took it away again. Um, but yeah, then we uh, get Georgie back to the main house. Yeah, uh, Georgie's escape. He's escorted back to the main house. We're back in the living room, and the rifle, uh, the shotgun, is introduced to the family. And Paul taunts uh, George Senior by saying, "Like you'll never believe what your son just did. He just he just put a gun yeah, in my face. He sure that did. was very irresponsible." <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't loaded, so it wasn't a threat. And uh, they uh, they start up a new game here where they're going to play Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo essentially. Yeah. Um, and now the shotgun has been loaded. Uh, so we have uh, Peter brandishing the shotgun, and Paul excuses himself from the room. He says, I'm, I'm going to go get something to eat. Like, Peter, you've been eating all day. Uh, but now it's my turn to get something from the fridge. Uh, so he leaves him there, and uh, the way they play this game is uh, they they play like an initial round of eeny meeny miny mo to to select who they're going to start from and so they land on anna and the whole time by the way they've been like being lectures about her appearance mm-hmm. like paul paul has a thing about like body types and and like 
he he refers to it as jelly rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, like he points out that she's she's felt, um, and it's it's creepy. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he he continues to tease her in that fashion. Except for now, instead of talking about her body, he's keying in on her age. So they're like, "How old do you think she is?" And they ask her, and she's like, "I'm not." I'm so done. Like I'm not yeah. playing. So she doesn't issue a response. And so they're like, eh, 37. It's like, let's be nice and say like 35 or something. Uh, so they use her age uh, to, to play out the next round of Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo. So they're going to count to whatever number they assigned to her age uh, between the three members of the family. Uh, so Paul excuses himself. And while he's in the kitchen, uh, butter, buttering a piece of bread, uh, we hear a gunshot and some screaming uh, that just very quickly subsides. Um, actually, like there's a scuffle. We hear we hear a singular gunshot, and then very little after the fact. And Paul is not in a hurry to return to the living room. Uh, but we, the audience, are like, somebody got dead, uh, but we don't know who. Yeah. Um, and then Kyle, uh, do you want to give the big reveal? Yeah. So we have um, blood splattered TV and wall, and we can kind of hear. In the background, we hear um, uh, Paul saying, "Why would you? Do, why would you start there? Now we have nothing, no leverage against these two. Like there's nothing, nothing we can do." And he's just like, "He got up and he ran, so I shot him." And he's like, "We have to get out of here." It was like, "This is done because we have nothing else that we can do against these people." By saying that, we can kind of deduce what happened. Um, and then this is just wow. Like I, I have written down killed georgie dot 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 wow um and this is one continuous shot and i think you said it was for about 12 minutes um this scene it yeah it, it's it's over 10 minutes we don't want to cover it over 12 minutes but we'll, we'll give you the highlights <laughs> um georgie is dead and it is like because we haven't seen any violence on screen and again we didn't see this gunshot but we are given the aftermath, and it is horrific. It is awful. And we get a shot of Georgie over on the on the side, and we have Anna just on her knees, just completely in shock and kind of just drooling. And George Sr. is just kind of laying down. Um, I forgot to mention at one point, he does get stabbed uh, a bit. Like yes, they, they, off screen. Off, yeah, but we hear it, and it is it's pretty bad. Like it sounds pretty awful. So he, he is injured, but we don't know to what extent. Um, but he is just laying down, not moving. We're not sure what his deal is, but she is just, just completely in a whole other realm of existence right now. Like it's, it's pretty awful. Um, but this scene is just, wow. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, her, her first move went like after several minutes of being, completely stationary and as kyle had said just drooling from the mouth um her first move is to hop because by the way her hands and her ankles are still bound like uh is to hop uh over to the tv which by the way in the past scene or so has been on non-stop mm-hmm. um and initially we're flipping through channels it's a lot of natural disasters and what appears to be some form of like german or austrian sci-fi movie of some sort involving like pyramids <laughs> uh, look kind of interesting actually i kind of want to see that movie but um they settle on uh car racing yeah of some sort um complete with sports commentary and whatnot 
Um, and that's just on for most of this for most of the previous scene and a good part of this do you think Um, that was that do you think that the choice of leaving it on racing is just to kind of speak to uh how dangerous of a sport that is and it's just a spectator sport where people are literally putting themselves into right into death's way just just for entertainment uh yeah this may as well be a good time to bring this up as as any other um i a lot a lot of the themes present in this movie and the director has has made this known as far as i understand um have to do with with violence as spectacle and violence as entertainment and uh i don't know what that says about humanity and society at large um this was the director's way of kind of pointing the finger at that and saying maybe we ought to take a long, good long look at ourselves and the culture that we've bred um globally um and there's a lot of imagery that that pushes that agenda pushes that that theme and I want to say you're right with the TV is that a lot of the images that are shown on the TV happen to be things that involve danger and violence. Um, and a lot of these things are things that people would consider a form of entertainment uh, because it's, it's action, it's spectacle, it's, it's, it's danger. Yeah. Um, and what's more, like I couldn't help but think of uh, the fifth element of all things. Uh, during a couple of instances in this movie, and what I'm getting at here, it's very, it's a very specific reference. So allow me to elaborate. Um, there's that sequence with Zorg, with Zorg, uh, Gary Oldman Zorg, uh, in The Fifth Element, um, where he has that audience with Ian Holm, um, and he knocks over the, the water glass, um, and he hits that little button that causes all the the Roombas and the the little elephant trunked mm-hmm. alien thing to come out of his desk and whatnot, and he's explaining about the idea of of violence and destruction being like necessary for existence and and in its own way entertaining like he's like well, look at what came out of that destruction of the glass it's like you got to see this wonderful little ballet of all these little robots scrambling around to fix it like a thing was broken and 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 in fixing it we all took action and we got to we were engaged um and there's uh, some stuff with the cinematography in this movie specifically involving the eggs uh, that made me think of that Uh, because when the first batch of eggs is dropped we have that shot that's just like fixed on the 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 mess that came from those eggs Mm -hmm. we get to see in all the point seemingly pointless detail on a cleaning up the mess while the dialogue continues but we don't see any characters we just see a hand and a cloth wiping up egg mess and then that's revisited again uh, in the living room uh, with Peter dropping more eggs and in, in this case we have the almost the same shot of, of just like egg mess on the ground and dialogue persisting while we see all these hands like scrambling to clean up the mess and whatnot and I think what that's alluding to what the director's alluding to here is that these 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 moments of chaos and 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 or danger or violence are are what we as an audience hunger for uh, because as as Kyle had said, like at the very beginning of this review, the image that we get of these of this family is like everything's very orderly, everything's very put together. Like these these people seem like they have their head on their shoulders, and by all rights, they live a very happy, peaceful existence. Only problem with that is this is a fucking movie, and that's not entertaining in any way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we need to introduce an element of chaos in order in order to get substance from it. Um, and I think that's. A huge part of the thematic content of the movie is that uh, what does that say about people 
that they can't just watch a story about a happy family and be entertained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um but um on a yeah, like I said, her first her first step is to uh turn off the TV and uh she attempts to like use the a corner of the furniture to, to cut her, her wrist bindings. It doesn't work out. But Kyle, does uh this actor, um Ulrich Muhey, uh does he deserve a Fastbender award for his uh his guttural scream, his his emotion his physical manifestation of agony fassbender saw this film and based his performance off this scene because i i I won't take i won't take any of their explanation he beats the shit out of fassbender with this because that is a powerful powerful moment in that movie but this is on another level this is incredible this is yeah he he sounds like he's going to asphyxiate himself like he can't catch his breath he's so he's so gut punched by the the emotional reaction to the loss of his son but um what i was what i'm getting at there folks at home you're probably not aware of this unless you're a hardcore fucking fan <laughs> um but i hope you are <laughs> um, one of our uh, earliest episodes of catching up on cinema was a uh, ridley scott movie by the name of the counselor uh that kyle had recommended we watch uh, i thoroughly enjoyed that i really had a fun time talking about it um michael fassbender uh, is the Fassbender we're talking about, not Fassbinder. Uh, Michael Fassbender uh, has a emotional, he has a physical expression of emotional pain in that movie that um, both Kyle and I just like think of as like, I guess it's no longer the gold standard. No, uh, no. <laughs> but but if if you need a good reference for what what you should strive for uh, in in conveying those types of emotions on film. Look up that scene. Yeah, <laughs> this this is pretty um, incredible. Uh, this this what he gives us. Yes, and uh, his wife cradles him and and takes several minutes as this shows so much restraint on the part of the filmmaker to mm-hmm. allow this sequence to play out for as long as it does. Um, because yes, it, it this would not happen quickly. Um, it, this would take a while, and even then, the aftermath of it is it, it's felt. Um, but yeah, she has to carry him out of the room mm-hmm. and we get to see it in all its grim painstaking detail of a, a fairly small woman having to shoulder the weight of her husband's dead weight yeah and like step by step like she has to like take a minute to breathe every step and there's a lot of steps to that doorway uh, before we can exit the scene before the shot uh, this 10 plus minute shot can conclude um, so bravo to everybody involved. By the way, she she manages to, to hop into the kitchen to find a knife to cut her bindings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she manages to come back. So this actress had to give an emotional layered performance while hopping, while, while pogoing <laughs> across the room. What if she tripped? Yeah. <laughs> be... In the middle of a 12-minute shot. Oh, suck. But yeah, she she manages to get him out there uh, towards the kitchen. Now they're trying to they're trying to think of a plan. It's like they're gone, but we need to still get out of this situation. And the the idea is like, well, let's maybe we can get to the boat. I think they locked the fence, so we're not gonna be able to get out. We can't even get out to the front door, so he can't even get out. We have to go through a window. But the idea is like, well, uh, let's see if we can get the cell phone to work. The cell phone does turn on, so now there's like, oh, there's a hope we might be able to get a signal, but they're not able to get a signal. So we've got two plans together. So we're going to try to get the phone going with um, with uh, George, and then Anna is going to have to go out on foot and try to find help that way. 
Yeah, and I think it's important to note here that everything Kyle just expressed happens over the course of 10 minutes yeah, or so. It takes a while to get there. It takes a while. And every move that George makes, he, he's hobbled. Like, yeah. like, he requires her assistance. And at one like, this is where the movie turns into a, a bizarre procedural. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, every everything they're trying to do is so very simple. But this is, again, where I think this movie is probably dangerous to show to some Americans. Because... You know, some self-reliant uh, Americans that live in probably more remote areas um, would look at everything playing out here and just be like completely disgusted. Where it's like you weren't prepared, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because everything there we're bearing witness to during this chapter of the film is like unfortunately the grim reality of a situation like this. Where it's like if if you're in a remote area and you don't have access to phones or technology. You can't call for help or anything if somebody's injured and re- and the logistics of moving them require assistance and whatnot. This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Like like nothing will be get done quickly. Nothing will be get done efficiently. This is unfortunately the reality of it, and it's brutal to watch. Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, they don't have a, a like a, a Tupperware or a bag of rice or anything because mm-hmm. that really would have come in handy for that phone. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, they use a hairdryer that George has posted up handling. But um, Anna changes her clothes because, by the way, she was dressed in like a nice dress. Like they're vacationing at a lake house. Like she was dressed, she was dressed to look nice and to have have a good time. Now she's dressed for more utilitarian reasons. Like she's in a sweater and jeans. And I don't exactly know what the commentary is here, but I do think it's interesting that when she changes her clothes that is on screen and nothing is left to the imagination for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's like her, her underwear is perfectly see-through. So it's, I don't exactly know what the messaging might be there. I think, but it's, it's interesting because like in terms of like emotional content, it is just her changing her clothes. Like there's no impact to her as a character. I think there is still like at the point where everybody's still alive and they're having her undress, there's still kind of like a titillating aspect to that as a viewer. It's like, Nothing really bad's happening, so now we just kind of get to see this actress naked, and the director takes that away from you. Now, you just saw that 12-minute scene. You you feel bad about it. (laughs) If you could bounce back and be, like, interested in her, like, seeing her naked at this point, you're you're off the rails, because now he's giving it to you. He's letting you see uh, this woman. Um, she's not completely naked, but you, yeah, but nothing is left up to the imagination, like you say. Like You are able to see her breasts, for the most part. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Kyle. It's like, like, it, 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 it's like holding a mirror up to the audience and being like... Now what? Here I, you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you've seen it. Are you happy about it? Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> makes it all the more brilliant on his part. Yeah. No, it, this... Again, this very skillfully conducted movie. And by the way, the moment when she vomits, uh, when she closes the door oh, to the other room, oof, oof that was rough. Because like she, it's just like a casual gesture on her part. Whereas this is her still continuing to be mom, like cleaning up messes and keeping things orderly. She's like, oh, that door's open. It might get drafty. And she just kind of shuts it and she looks at her husband just... Ugh. Well, th- uh, this also kind of brings in an- another concept that we were uh, toying with in the 90s, uh, specifically, uh, well, Aliens kind of brought it on, but also like in Jurassic Park, where we have, um, typically you would have the man going out to do this kind of stuff, but we have the guy, he's immobile, like he can't, he cannot do anything. And like you said, like she, the mom was the one kind of running the show at the beginning, like she was kind of in charge, and he is uh, ineffectual. As, uh, as as his role as the husband and the father in this movie from the very beginning because these guys take him over immediately. 
and now it's at the point where it's like you have no choice i cannot do anything you are the one that is going to have to get us out of this situation um which I thought was an interesting interesting move for this movie. Because also, I think that that is something that you as the audience would kind of expect. is like, oh no, I'm the man. The man's going to take care of the situation. He's the one that's going to get us out of this. Like, not here, dude. Yeah, Liam Neeson's going to show up with this very special set of skills and he's going to resolve the situation. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's very much uh, Hicks and Ripley. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, when it, when it comes time for that final showdown with the Queen... You know, Hicks, he's been really helpful up until now, but... He's got concussion. Yeah, yeah he's not doing anything. Oh, yeah. He, he is badly burned. He is <laughs> he is Michael Bean, so the chances of him making it to the final reel are not, not so, good. Not good. <laughs> not good. It's just, it's, I'm sorry, this is Michael Bean in a James Cameron movie. He's not making it to the credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, by the way, uh, as, as capable as she is... Um, not a very good runner. Oh gosh, I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah, <laughs> she has awful. terrible form. <laughs> well, she has, she got just, well, Laura Dern. She got st- yeah, Steven yeah. Seagal arms. Yeah, well, <laughs> even Laura Dern. I always thought that she was kind of a goofy runner in uh, Jurassic Park. That was the other thing. Um, well, she has an excuse. She was dragging a flashlight. Yeah, um, and yeah. she was panicked. Yeah. Like, the, like this this woman. I mean, yeah, she's panicked too. But come on, she's tomahawking yeah. the air. Can we? <laughs> She she's hammer fisting the air. I want to talk about this sequence to, with you because this was probably one of the most tense. This was one of the most tense moments for me watching the film. Was this sequence that goes on? Um, so she's going to the boat shed, I think, to get pliers, and then she's going to cut out through the fence. So she's going to cut the fence and just get out that way. Um, and she uh, gets out onto the road. Uh, meanwhile, George is able to get a hold of somebody. Or she starts screaming at a neighbor's house and nobody comes. She's just like, hello. Nobody answers. Um, I'm not sure which neighbor it was, uh, but he had basically told, like, they're aware that their next door neighbors are dead. So I think this was a different neighbor that she went to. But uh, George is, uh, they don't know how to call the police because uh, they don't know the number. So he ends up trying to call a friend. He's like, can you hear me? If you can hear me, send the police to my lake house. But it's unclear whether she got, they, they got through to him. But this sequence of her running down the road. Now, she is exhausted, and she's running. And you you and I now, I think, are, tr- are primed to be expecting the guys to come back. Like, we're just like, it has to happen. Like, they have to come back. So I was waiting, and I think the director intentionally was, like, kind of stopping and slowing down and trying to get us to think that these guys were just going to pop up out of nowhere at some point. Did you get that feeling when you were watching this? No. Um, I I was, I gave up trying to anticipate this movie at some point. Uh, because, you know, there, it, time and time again up until this point, it's just... It's, a, it's exhausting. It really is. It, it, it actually, I mean, exhausting is a, is a word that comes to mind after, like, after having experienced funny games. But uh, in a good way because it's a sign of engagement yeah. it means that i was invested in what i was watching but um i wasn't sure what the plan was because i was i was picking up on what they were laying down in, in terms of uh like the procedural element of sh- of just showing in painstaking detail ever like the i guess respecting the aftermath of of what had happened with georgie um like, cause it, it's important if if you're going to try to like realistically explore that territory, there's a, there's a, a right way of doing that and uh, slowing it down, like like letting letting the room 
breathe a little bit is is the right way to do that. I really wasn't sure if they were going to show up again uh, because their exit was very uh, sudden and bizarre uh, mm-hmm. because we just have that close up of the tel- the bloody television screen and then them saying like, "Well, you fucked up, Tubby. I guess we got to go. Uh, thanks for the driver, as in the golf club. Bye." And then and then they just are no longer there. Um, but that scene when she's running down the road, uh, <laughs> there's a truly frustrating moment that happens here where, uh, again, I think I talked to the movie again here. Um, so she's she's completely exhausted. We get plenty of close-ups showing just how fatigued she is. And remember, she, she's been beat up and has not slept. She just, I mean, when they got to the house, they just came off what I would assume is a very long car ride. But she's running down this road, and then she sees headlights down the road. And a vehicle coming towards her. And she waits for a second, but her instinct is to hop into the bushes. And then just as it passes, she's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) She hops out and she tries to call out to the passing vehicle. And then it's like, oh, well, I I guess we'll never know if that was the bad guys or if it was just some other people. This doesn't look like a road that gets much traffic. So, you know, maybe you fucked up. But then not too long after, a second car comes up. And then we cut away from that scene, and then the worst thing imaginable mm. comes this from that cutaway. <laughs> fantastic! This is this is awesome. Uh, yeah. So George is in the house, and he kind of hears a noise, and the door is open to wherever he's standing. And then you just hear a plop, plop, and then a golf ball just rolls in. And you're like, "Oh god, damn it! We're right back in it again." It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, this is. I had alluded to this earlier, but we'll get into it now. Um, we had 25 minutes of movie without Peter and Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is the director um, banking on, and I would imagine largely achieving what he set out to do here, uh, pointing out the fact that, you know, when when those monsters, when those two horrible people weren't in the film, were you a little bored? Were, were you just like a little like maybe just a little less engaged than you were previously it's like because i think a lot of you maybe had a little bit of that feeling like waiting for like what's gonna happen like like a, a feeling of an absence um, <laughs> and I, I think that's what he was doing here was removing these horrible elements from the movie and gauging the audience reaction to that and it's like you know like what again what does that say about you that you missed those guys as horrible as they were it's like they 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 pushed the narrative forward the narrative that we all kind of bought into by reading the back of the box and paying for a ticket i think we were just i think me as the viewer i was kind of like i feel like they're going to come back but there's hope that they're not going to and they're so like maybe the this the, the plot is going to change now like maybe they're going to be able to get out of here and maybe find them and you know get their revenge kind of thing um what was that the i think it was the last house on the left i mm-hmm. think that's the plot of that one yeah yeah very much that's kind of what i thought like the tables the turn tables um but, yeah yeah right um i was kind of holding on to that but part of me was just like i don't think that's how this is going to play out and i'm just wanting for them to get the kill shot in at some point i'm just like just get this over with because i'm tired of waiting but no, 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 nine, nine, nine. You will watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Anna was picked up from the road. So as I guess it's, I guess we can come to understand that that second vehicle, not the first one, but the second vehicle 
belonged to Peter and Paul. So if she had just held her ground and, you know, banked on that first vehicle, maybe not being the bad guys, everything would be better. But no, it's not that kind of movie. No, it's not. So she, get, <laughs> so she gets brought back in immediately following the golf ball. Um, we kind of get set up for, like, I guess our final confrontation in the movie. So we're right back where we started. We're right back in the living room. And uh, Anna is, is not only bound, but also gagged. Um, and Paul sets her up. Uh, to play another game and this is where uh george gets stabbed is uh we have oh yeah uh we have a knife in the room that um as as kyle and i had both mentioned there's a lot of instances of props being teased to us as being potentially useful to our quote heroes um that are completely nullified uh very quickly and uh here we have a knife that anna had used to cut her bindings um when she was tied up with tape it's still in the room and paul very quickly just recognizes oh there's a knife on the table i should grab that just in case it's like oh well i guess we're not going to be using that anytime soon um and he threatens her with it and uh we have a series of close-ups of just of just our two villains heads and anna george is completely off screen Um, but they're trying to play a game with her where she has to decide if they're going to use a knife or the gun uh to kill them Uh, so they're basically going to continue the game of uh eeny meeny miny mo but now there's a a sharp little tool in the room that they can also use um and we do get to hear george get stabbed off screen it's it's horrendous awful yes yeah and uh i if i'm remembering correctly the way the game works here is they want her to say a prayer yeah at which point she says i don't know any and uh peter teaches her one a very quick one and I guess the game is she has to recite it perfectly backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all that really wins her is the option to pick which tool they use to kill the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kyle, uh, this is a very pivotal, like a huge moment in the film. Mm. Uh, I'll give you the I'll give you the the privilege of of getting to talk through it. <laughs> this is this is pretty brilliant. Um, I don't think you could do this in any other movie. Like if you try to do this again, it just it's not going to have the same effect because it was done so well here. So she's telling her, Paul's telling her, like, you need to say this backwards um, in order for you to basically win the game. And meanwhile, while he's saying this, the gun, the shotgun is resting on the table pointed directly at um, uh, Peter. So in a split second, she grabs the gun and holds it up to Peter and pulls the trigger and just shoots him in the stomach. I'm like, fuck yes! Like, you as the viewer are like, oh my god, finally. We finally got here. And I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that she she pulled that off. And immediately, this was really interesting, immediately Paul is like, god damn it, this is not supposed to happen. Where's the remote? Where's the remote? So I thought because he had turned on music earlier to go find um, Georgie, he was turning on music... To like maybe that's how he drowns out being frustrated, like with uh, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I thought happened, and then I thought my TV glitched for a second because I was streaming this and it kind of stops. But then he hits the rewind button and rewinds that whole sequence back to where she's praying and realizes that the gun is there, and we're like, "Oh my gosh!" They just took it. He just took it right back from us. Like we thought that this was like gonna change the way the movie plays out. And then she tries to take the gun again after he's rewound it, and he moves it out of the way. We're like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. It's 
ah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't say a whole lot more uh, than Kyle just did. Uh, it it is brilliant uh, because it completely just flips you the biggest middle finger in terms of your expectations. Uh, because as as I had said, this this is what I was alluding to when I said the the moment of like catharsis, the the moment of necessity uh, on the part of the viewer, where it's like this moment is expected, it's wanted, it's needed on some level by people who would who would delight in ingesting material like this, and this is the movie giving you that, and then taking it away and saying the only reason that's here is because you wanted it and needed it. But that's not what we're actually doing. Yeah. <laughs> like th- we put it in here because like there's somebody in the audience that would be like really alarmed and upset if this wasn't here. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's not the actual story that we're telling here. Uh, so we we did we did what you asked, but in terms of the actual story that's being told here, no, that's not what we're doing. Um, and he does have dialogue. Paul does have dialogue in the sequence preceding this moment um, that mentions film yeah. and mentions narrative. Like he basically refers to this sit-down moment of of her being told to pray and select the weapon that is going to be used to kill you and your husband he does refer to it as like like the climax of a film or a narrative he says Uh, so this is this is again the film uh alluding to fourth wall breaking and whatnot or making fourth wall breaks he says we're not up to feature film length yet yes it's like we we can't be done just yet because we haven't we we haven't haven't gotten there yeah we haven't played it out to 90 minutes just yet um, so you can't die just yet. So we got to play this out a little bit longer. But yeah, uh, off screen, uh, we—I mean—we get to see the shot, but we don't actually see the result of it. We, Paul shoots George while well, he's laying on the floor. Unceremoniously, he just walks up. He's like, "Well, I guess he gets the gun." Bam, done. Yeah, yeah. Decision was made for her, and now—and he—he even straight up tells her, "It's like it's so simple, but it's so brutal and and mean." He just says, "You blew it." Like, it's like it's like you tried to get cute and I, I was just playing a game with you and you blew it like you broke the rules you can't do that uh um, yeah and then uh they're all in uh like raincoats yeah like like slickers yeah uh, the uh they are they're off to the dinghy and remember that we have that knife that the uh that jo- little georgie took out to the uh to the boat that's just kind of hiding around out there but they uh they tie up on it. It looks like they're tying her to the boat, but what they're actually doing is they're just like really tying her. Like they've got her hands tied and her feet tied, and they've got uh, they've got her basically secured to the boat. Um, and then we get underway. And then I, did you catch this conversation that they're having while they're on the boat? I had a lot of trouble understanding Peter. It sounded like he was talking about some form of fiction mm-hmm. or like a TV show or a book. Maybe he had been reading. I. Yeah, it was it was like some kind of narrative in a vacuum where you keep expecting something to happen and it doesn't, and it keeps the audience pushed down or something like that. It was yeah, something along those lines. Uh, it was basically the 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 theory of the film, the idea of what the film is getting at. It's you're suffocating the off audience more or less. Yeah, it, it was very interesting, but I, I didn't quite get all of it. But um, yeah, Anna is very unceremoniously just dumped off the boat oh she, she so she's she's got the knife and the two are talking and she's like trying to like cut her way out and they're like can see her perfectly right there and she's like maybe four feet away like she's not super far and they're just like oh look at that she's trying to get out and they just take the knife throw it over the side and he's like what time is it eight o'clock and he's like well okay and he's like but wait you said not until nine he's like no 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 i said we're they'll all be dead by nine doesn't matter when and yeah she's just 
thrown off the back of the boat. Just drug, and she's attached to the boat too, I think. Yeah, uh, so she is drowned, um, but it's 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 so callous yeah. and, and so casual the way Paul goes about it. Because yeah, Peter's like, "Hang on," but like she had almost an hour left. And he's like, "I think his explanation is as simple as like it." the water's a little rougher than i thought it'd be he's like it's too it like this is taking too much effort it's i'm getting a too hard to sail i'm getting hungry and i'm hungry yeah too. it's like i'm hungry i'm hungry so basically they're they're just reinforcing the fact that's like the time limit never was a factor like it was just teasing it's just being cruel uh for cruelty's sake mm-hmm. um so even if they somehow made it to nine o'clock doesn't matter like they weren't holding themselves to any standards <laughs> uh yeah and then they pull up to a dock and you're like well i guess they're just gonna walk off into the sunset <laughs> uh but paul walks up to a different house and we were uh if you recall when um anna was talking to her neighbors they lived on the other side of the lake so you can kind of figure out where we are now well also during that exchange he um he asked about the house mm-hmm he was like, "Oh, is that the house with the yeah. with with the leaves around the entryway and whatnot?" And we see that yes, that this this house that he's walking up to has the leaves around the entryway and whatnot. So this was him scouting out his his next stop. Um, and yeah, he he comes up and he uses uh, the prior meeting as a way to gain entry to the home. He's just like, "Oh yeah, I'm I don't you remember me from the other day? I was I was Anna's friend." Quote, um, and he. Peter's not present, at least right now, but he says, like, oh, yeah, some unexpected company came over to Anna's place, and uh, she needs some eggs to, to make breakfast for everybody. May I come in and get some eggs? And uh, he steps into the entryway. He's allowed access to the home, and uh, he steps into the center frame, and uh, he gives that same knowing look that he gave over his shoulder during the search for Rolfi, and uh, we have a, yet another fourth wall break in the form of him looking directly into the camera and uh (laughs) the same the same music from the title uh plays over the this freeze frame uh that lasts like a good solid minute or two uh and then end credits after after that freeze frame Um, but yeah uh, congratulations you have now experienced funny games yeah uh yeah i don't think i have anything else to say uh in addition to what we've already said it's an excellent film even if you've listened to this podcast and haven't seen it, just watch it. Um, it seeing is believing, and it it is agony. It is agony. Um, it will put you through the ringer. It's an experience, but totally worth it. Yeah, no this this was an excellently constructed film. It's it is very very frustrating, um, but if if you at all if you can at all buy into what it's offering, um, it is very rewarding. Uh, so yeah i don't have a whole lot more to say other than strong recommend very skillfully put together film and uh maybe some down someday down the line i'll I'll check out that remake because it is a product from the same individual uh, it is the same director and you know it's working from a very strong foundation and i do like tim roth naomi watts is not as much of a selling point for me personally but i really do like tim roth and uh i'd be curious to see what he can do with the material but but yeah, uh, this was Michael uh, Haneke or Haneke. I'm not entirely sure how to say Austrian names, but uh, this was his uh, Funny Games from 1997. Um, but I guess the rest of the month, uh, you'll have to look forward to some more uh, films that have have been made into American remakes. 
uh, for the remainder of the reviews this month. So I know it's an odd theme, but I think it's an interesting one. So I'm not sure what we're going to be doing next, uh, but look forward to that next week. But in the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, and we're also available on the social medias in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. I pounded like a ton of water. I have to pee again. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm so sorry.